it. <laughs> yeah, we're in the Semple Mansion for the first time. What button? What button was it? Dramatic hamster. <laughs> He's the only one with cans on his ears, so I don't know what's going on unless I look at the button and I remember which one it was. Yeah, that one is a little rare. We don't use that one as often as yeah. we should. Yeah, so we're starting uh, our next set of hundreds. A new chapter. And it is our first uh, recording session here at the historic Semple Mansion, literally just across the alley from our prior recording destination. And it's fucking sexy in here. Equally sexy. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. Perhaps. I love this. To some, some people's eye, even sexier. Ooh, I, I would say uh, I have a lot more experience in this venue. Uh, I got to be a, a groomsman slash best man in a wedding. Yeah. Uh, I have DJed in these hallowed halls, and I also officiated a wedding in this mansion. So yeah. I, used, I also used to live uh, two blocks away from here. I lived uh, just down the street. I used to a, live on Franklin and 3rd, so I hey, also same. live very near to here. Yeah, <laughs> wow, go figure. Yeah, in the, uh, the old school. I have uh, a lot of experience with this building from playing both Resident Evil and Resident Evil Remake. <laughs> just, dude, this place, when the lights are off, it is frightening in here. It looks like the, it looks like the mansion yeah. from Resident Evil. This is, where all, this is where all the ghosts are from that haunt everybody. Now, does an old Victorian mansion still have Victorian ghosts, or do they have like different ones? Older ghosts than that. They're still yeah. Victorian. They're still they Victorian. were even Victorian right. before Victorian times, if that <laughs> like, makes what any the sense. fuck is this? <laughs> Whoa, it's a ghost from the future. <laughs> Yeah. I, I was still thinking about like like going even older and having it be like 1700s like pirate ghosts or something but i like the modern it's ghosts. just funny that it's always victorian no yep. matter what even i i to our listeners i sent charles a, a dumb video clip today there was two guys singing a like an 80s yacht rock song about ghosts and sure as shit the fucking ghost in it victorian we're in, like, can you imagine if you're stuck haunting the earth in the afterlife, you still have to wear like a hoop skirt and a neck high, uh, like billowing blouse, like suffocating corset. Yeah. 27,000 <laughs> hairpins. Like even in death, we're still just awful to women. Yeah. That also just, anytime I see all that garb, it makes me think of when Marnie watches Highlander and I'm like, there's no way they can fuck by the time everything gets off. Yeah. Like the mood is passed, right? Yeah. Like it takes an hour to take all that shit off. Yeah, whatever people would like <laughs> like hook up and have a quickie back then. Like that was no, a that was yeah. a thirty-seven minute long affair just right. to get to the point where you could have a quickie. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why everybody died so young. They were just exhausted from trying to have sex. Yeah. yeah. It was too much work. I mean, even well, no, it's not even the same. I was gonna say dudes still had to take off like five layers of wool. I can only imagine not what that smelled like. <laughs> Ugh. Especially if they're the last one to bathe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're just in the, they're in the meat tea. <laughs> yeah, who's, who's in the soup? Who's in the soup? Who got the soup? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, well, uh, speaking of good soup, uh, we got a little hey. something in our, in our glasses over yeah, here. We got in the glass. But it was, uh, we are, we are fortunate enough today to be sipping on something that was brought by uh, our lovely guest. Yes. So I feel like before we go any farther, we should let him introduce himself to all of y'all listeners out there. And uh, maybe let everybody know kind of what you're up to right now. Hey, I am Pip. I am Pip Hansen. I really thought you were going to stop it. Like just, I, I, am I Pip. was thinking about it. <laughs> like a, like your own that? personal, I am Groot. <laughs> I am Pip. <laughs> um, well, I'm Pip Hansen and I'm the, I guess, uh, professionally, I'm, I'm the beverage director of Keeper's Heart, which is what you're drinking right now. Yeah. That's, that occupies a lot of my time. Uh, and I've seen the brand as we've been traveling a bunch. I've seen it kind of yes. growing. Um, 
founded here in, do you want to give everybody a little background on that? Cause they're probably going to be seeing it coming into their stores sometime soon. Yeah, sure. The, the elevator pitch is, um, you know, we're a new distillery in Minneapolis. We've been open for about two years. Uh, and our big thing was when we opened, we poached the master distiller in Ireland who made like, you know, five of the best whiskeys in Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan nation. He made Jameson and Middleton and red breast and the spot line, uh, as the master distiller. And so we poached him, we opened keepers hearts, uh, doors, in 2021 and it's been pretty good so far yeah i am an admitted we've talked about it on the show before i'm an admitted spot uh acolyte i um i remember the first time i had a green spot Mm -hmm. and then it just sort of kept going uh really just falling in love middleton was always great but i mean i could never afford it red breast was wonderful i i met my wife working in an irish pub so i've been through a lot of whiskey our bar manager when i started there was and still is uh sober to this day so i got to be the uh the stunt taster for all the whiskeys and beers, which was one of the greatest, because every Irish whiskey company wanted to come bring stuff by, and they was ah, Ben, you got to come try this. I'm like, ah, I guess. Yeah. Well, it was it was pretty wonderful. Falling on the sword, it's and funny uh, they open up, huh? Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, let's go. Yeah. Um, but but having something locally that we can chase after like that with that kind of uh, of history and mastery is amazing. And then you, in turn, then also get to play with it, right? Exactly, yeah. So I, I sort of figure out what we do with it drinks-wise, both in the distillery bars and then um, sort of help with explaining the cocktail vision to the public. And folks, just go on, uh, look up O'Shaughnessy's Distilling here in Minnesota. Just go onto their website and look at the photos. It is truly one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever been in. I got weak in the knees looking at that amount of copper when I (laughs) got that tour right (laughs) before I came in. Like I honestly, I had never seen anything that looked like that in this country. And it like, it, it still hasn't lost its luster. I uh, was fortunate enough to work for three years for a company that was kitty corner from the distillery and we made a lot of delicious beers. So there was a lot of back and forth. And uh, this past summer after I stopped working with them, uh, I went back for a couple concerts that are sort of like in the, if these two are diagonal from each other in sort of the straight to the side spot is a huge concert venue. And so we went in there and every time I would like completely stop listening to the conversation I was in and just get lost looking around. <laughs> like, do you, do you feel it like being in those, those four walls all the time? Do you still get to like be in awe? It's a special space. I don't think it wears off. You know, the things that age really well to me are things like materials like copper. And so mm. kind of, you know, the copper gets a patina yeah. as it ages and you know, oh. the whole space is kind of simple and arranged around some, some pretty good material choices. So I think it'll go the distance. Um, can you, can you walk us through and, and let our listeners know, like if they get a bottle of this, if they can find a bottle somewhere, uh, what they would be tasting, like what they're looking at. Most definitely. So keeper's heart, you know, the first product we opened with, I think is, is pretty bold. We opened with a blend of Irish and American whiskeys, which yeah. has really never been done. Uh, certainly not in anyone's living memory. And so, that is what this is. It's it's three whiskeys in one bottle, two of them from Ireland, uh, from our favorite distillers in Ireland, one of them from a great distiller in America, and we blend them together here in Minneapolis. And mm. We're doing that for, you know, we will continue doing that forever for the length of the company, but in a way, you know, sourcing other people's whiskey and blending them is, it's, um, you know, we're showing that as an art form, but we're also, you know, doing that while we wait for Brian's distillate to age. Oh, of that's, course. That's sure. kind of what everything... My, my mind, even though it's two years till our four years ready, my mind is already kind of looking to that moment. Yeah. That's going to be big for us. 
I think like I've, I've fought for this, uh, going back to my time. Um, well, actually when I first met you, Pip, when mm-hmm. we, when craft cocktail wave 1.0 was sort of crashing in the, the mid to late two thousands, uh, one of the, one of the biggest eye opening things, experiences I had was listening to, um, distillers from all over the world coming through town and talking about like somehow I had gotten it in my head that a blended whiskey is somehow lesser. Like, you know, we got into the, the, the single malt scotch stuff. That was a huge craze in the nineties. And the idea of, of taking, I mean, look, we all love to cook in our kitchens. You're doing the same thing. Like I did not grow and prepare all of the things. I don't like, if I'm going to have a beet salad, it's not just single beets. You know, I mix things together because I want to get to a a beautiful taste that I'm looking for. And then to have to be consistent with it Mm -hmm. and to have to keep that up, like that's a completely separate and gorgeous, amazing skill set. Brian will tell you that it in some ways is harder than distilling. It's like maintaining that quality. Sure. Um, You know, there's, there's a trend in the food world uh, in the you know the culinary world, for lack of a better word, for um, past maybe fifteen years, uh, away from call it intervention, and away you know basically towards the most pure possible ingredient sourced you know as simply you know as well as possible and then prepared very simply. And I think that was a really important movement in American cuisine. But I think it's also worth acknowledging that the hand of the person who's making it is what kind of has the potential to transform it into something amazing. Yeah. Right. Also yeah. ASMR. I agree. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. That was a good pop. There's something weird about someone opening a bottle right in front of their own face, but they have to hear it through their headphones. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, I'm an it's audiophile through and through. Like there's, <laughs> I will freely admit that uh, back in my, in my uh, original music days, there were a lot of times when my partner would be in another room or would step outside to have a cigarette and I would just try and hear different sounds through the headphones. Like he'd come back in and be like, Oh, what are you working on? And I was like, uh, and just play a little riff real quick. I'm like, I was messing around with that. Nope. I was going through different synth patches and just hearing what it sounds like on really beautiful Sennheiser, uh, headphones. <laughs> That's what happens when you're an audio addict. Uh, well, what do you think? Should we, uh, should we roll into some questions? Let's do it. Oh, I didn't know you have prepared questions. Oh, yeah, right. we oh, got gotcha. you. All right, here we go. How about a cheers? Cheers. Yeah. Oh, actually, before the first question, um, mm-hmm. Pip, would you lend any any advice to folks if they do pick up a, a bottle of this as somebody who has such an extensive history in cocktail creation? Like, what would you, aside from drinking it neater on a rock, what would you suggest folks do? Well, that is, I would say, the most versatile whiskey I have ever worked with. Uh, it does do everything well. It does lighter drinks really well, but I would say our, our go-to of that is the old-fashioned. Mm. I would say that will make about the best old-fashioned that any single bottle that you pull off a shelf will. Um, and then, you know, if you've got friends to, uh, who want to mix with Coca-Cola, it's priced to be a daily. Sure. So it's not going to, you know, it's really, it can do just about anything. The first thing I remarked when I had it, uh, when the distillery had just opened was that there's this distinct cherry note for me. So adding that to Coke actually doesn't sound even to someone like myself who would never do a whiskey and Coke it actually sounds like it might be a pretty good idea. This is so fucked up because I was literally what I, I took a breath to say, I want to put some like cherry bark bitters in that sure. yeah, and yeah. then do, and maybe even, um, Oh man. Yeah. Maybe even coax out like a little rinse with, with a bittering agent in there. But that's, oh, that is so, it's right there. That that mm. cherry note is on the middle of my tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, like, 
really enjoyed that about it when I first tasted it neat. That has that really distinct cherry characteristic. I was like, ooh, that's a... That's really appealing. I, w- I bet that would make an incredible like like spring and summer highball. You it know, like a super fizzy soda water. It was chosen in 2022. Actually, it was chosen as the best the best whiskey in the world for uh, highballs by the American or the the tasting. I forget. It, it was one of the national or the international. Yeah, bodies. number one highball whiskey in the world empirically. So that's awesome. You are correct. I love it. I had no idea, but yep, I can imagine that. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Topic number one. All right, Pip. So I remember complimenting you on a jacket you were wearing on an early fall evening. Uh, I myself am a big jacket guy. So my question for you is, what's your favorite thing clothing-wise about the shifting to cooler seasons? Jackets. Obviously, <laughs> jackets. I like, led I, you. <laughs> I, we, we live in Minnesota, and so we can, we can have a lot, and it makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, there's many occasions, and it's just kind of a fun, a fun you know, a fun opportunity, I guess. Do you, you know, have a preferred, is it, are you jackets across the board versus what? Like, like, is there like, it doesn't matter as long as it's a jacket or a coat you're in, or is there like a preferred style? Is there mm. something that you love putting on? I guess I just mean like just having like, so in the summer it gets so damn hot, right? You, you really like it's t-shirts and like not much else. or you are going to sweat right. through it regard, you know, no matter how, what you try to wear, you're going to sweat through it probably sometimes if you're moving too fast. So when you don't, when you can, put a little more on it's it can be i don't know nice to like have a little more layer up yeah 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 i believe the because i remember i'd seen you in the jacket a few times and then we were at fucking palmer's <laughs> that was the cigar event yeah and i was like i love that jacket i've seen you wear it before and you it, i think it was brown you said you get it in japan yeah the green leather jacket the olive 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 okay it's, yeah, yeah. It's well that's probably why i like i think i think we're wearing the same fucking color i literally was I just noticing as you said that i'm like oh my god you guys are wearing the same I, actually i would be wearing i took my i took my green Bellstaff stocking hat off before I oh my walked God. out the door. Otherwise, we'd be wearing almost <laughs> the exact same outfit. For our listeners, oh, they're next funny. to each other. I'm across yeah. the room from them, and it's hilarious that it, I did not notice until yeah. you started talking that you guys are wearing the exact same thing. Also because we're wearing green pants, like army green pants, and then like dark blue shirts. Mine's a denim. and yeah, yours Mine is might sweater. be black, but it's hard to tell. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it looks, okay. All right. It's a, you know, whatever. Yeah. Similar tones. Yeah, totally. Similar tones. It, it, yeah. <laughs> Completely unrelated. Yeah. Uh, when we were unpacking, uh, when I was unpacking after our, our recent trip to Nashville, yeah. I was moving some stuff around in my closet and I just found my olive pants. I thought I had lost them. I thought somehow I'd traveled with them and not brought them back. Just found them. They were just like tucked back behind my shelf. They had somehow slipped into the crack in, in a, a 70 year old house. And so. Now I can, I can just, I can be dressed the same, but just the size is twice of you. <laughs> I donated, when I moved back from London, I donated a pair of jeans to a, a Goodwill store or th- whatever thrift store kind of thing in my neighborhood. And I donated the wrong pair. I was just going to donate a pair of Levi's no. and I donated my, my like, you know, old pair of salvage denim. Oh, and like, didn't really, yeah. I think I'm, you know, it, I just, <laughs> I pieced it together later and it oh. is heartbreaking. And in, like 2035 when denim is acceptable to wear again, then that's really going to suck. <laughs> Had they sold them? Could you have take, could you have purchased it at retail from them or is it like a donation donation? Oh, it was, it was definitely like somebody got a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Somebody you say, got a like, very good deal. I, did, if you notice it, it with enough time to go back and try to buy it off the shelf, but you know, if someone I probably it saw time, it. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, then like, they probably saw like the, <laughs> all the scuffs in it and were like, Oh, this is cheap and, 
put out for five pounds. Yeah, right. <laughs> kind of stuff my brother hunts. Yes, he's exactly. Like, he can sniff out that kind of thing. Like, hey, he's, he's always giving me stuff. He gave me the shirt. It's like a Japanese denim shirt. And he's like, it's just slightly too big for me. You should have it. He's like, it retails for like 600. I think I got it for like 17 bucks. I'm Amazing. Like, All right. <laughs> yeah, I don't like, uh, there's so few people that are shaped like me on earth that, that my clothes never end up in, in thrift stores or vintage stores. There, there weren't big people in the past, apparently. <laughs> Cause all that shit's just mm, fucking gone. No. So I have to, I have to seek out all my shit and pay full price for it. Does like, does like something like Depop make that easier? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Like I definitely just the, the advent of the internet. Usually the people that I can find, uh, it's like pro athletes that wear shit once and then just try and get rid of it. They pay an assistant to sell it, but they're also still trying to make a problem, uh, profit on it. So yeah, it is what it is. Every now and then I'll find something though that, that works. And then there's enough clothing companies now that are like, you might not, since it's not all store-based and they don't have to sit on a ton of, of uh, inventory, you could find places that'll do like one-offs and whatnot. But I feel like the internet is kind of on a downward slide in terms of public perception. Yeah. Like we're all kind of over it right now. And yeah. that's fair. But on the other hand, that yep. is, you forget about that. Like yeah. how easy things are now for that. It's an unwieldy tool, but if you do the right things with it, it's fucking great. Yeah. But I think we could say that about a lot of stuff, you know? Like, look, I, I still every now and then cut myself with my knives, but the only reason I can have the knives that I have right now are because I spent 20 years learning how to use knives. Because <laughs> uh, if I had had these when I was, I don't know, 23 or 24, I would be missing multiple fingers. Right. I was on Reddit the other day. Because it, it sounds like what you're proposing is like, like, you're going to have to learn, like learn to use the internet, like almost like a, yes. And like, I was reading on somebody on Reddit or something. God help me. I'm still occasionally on Reddit. I, um, I'm uh, a, a purist. I love it. Bad these days, but yeah. I'm still there. I don't know. Now and again, somebody was proposing that like nobody over six or nobody under 16 should be allowed to use the internet freely. Mm. And a <sighs> lot of people are like, yes, absolutely. Yes. This makes sense. And uh. I just like, the the fifteen year old me would have just shot myself in the yeah. face if I had agreed with that statement. Yeah, yeah. you know, of course. And like, obviously, because I'm now not very much not fifteen. Part of me was like, for a second, like, well, maybe. And then, and then like, nope, yep, no. There's, there's that might not be the answer. The, yeah, ugh. let's solve the internet, guys. Maybe with, <laughs> maybe with supervision, but then I would also say there's an upper end age limit. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> as we are proving right now. Holy shit. Ugh. All right. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. It's Quam. Oh yeah. So, uh, we're getting, things are getting cool. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm at a really interesting point. So, uh, I've talked about enough on the show. Uh, I, I, even though I'm a, a big feller, I'm still, I try to be fashion forward. I like to dress nicely. I like my things to match. I have my clothes in my closet set up, uh, Roy G Biv style. Like, you know, I have things, but in the last decade I went from, uh, running a nightclub and wearing a full suit every single day to working in uh, craft beer to working for a THC company and now working for uh, a very nice uh, wine and spirits company. And so what I've realized is I got rid of a bunch of the clothes that would come in handy uh, with my career choice currently. Mm. And so the nice part about that is I get to sort of invest over the next six months in some new stuff and my tastes have changed. Uh, I, as much as it would have been great to not have to think about buying anything new right now, the, the suits that I was wearing 10 years ago, uh, they looked boxy. They looked like nightclubs 10 or 15 years ago. So what I'm really excited about right now 
is investing in a couple new pair of, of winterized boots, uh, like fashion sure. forward boots. Yeah. Um, I love having like some just like Claude Stomp and Frankenstein shoes. Uh, it's great when we're, you know, when we have 12 or 16 inches of snow, but in all reality, coming in and out of accounts, I like to have something that looks a little bit nicer. And I had shifted in the last 10 years away from or into like sneakers that I love. I went on this whole streak for like three years where I was buying back all the shoes I couldn't afford when I was a kid. And it, it's honestly like it really felt good to put out a pair and be like, fuck, yeah, I could buy that with my own money. Ha <laughs> ha. And I've, uh, uh, we're fortunate enough, Charles, that we have a network of, uh, of gentlemen through Club Caraway that are all also sort of fashion forward and thinking about stuff. And I, I posited a question to them in our text thread, and I got a bunch of answers on that thread, and then a bunch of other side for answers boots. from folks yeah. mm-hmm. for boots. And uh, yeah, I, I really, I'm just excited about that. I know so that what sounds. Were the, what were the results? What's a and what is what is the like fashion forward boot? So the 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 two that I have fallen in love with, I'm happy that I got back from like four of the guys. Um, but there is a line that Red Wing Boots has, which are made here in Minnesota, and I'm blanking on the name of it. It's like Iron Eagle. Iron Ranger. Iron oh, Ranger. There we yeah. go. I just really wanted it to be Iron Eagle. I think. Um, you don't <laughs> but, have to be an Iron Eagle. No, no, no. I mean like the movie Iron <laughs> Eagle with Louis Gossett <laughs> Jr. <laughs> um, but Iron uh, Ranger is pretty good. Yeah, the Iron Rangers are, are really dope. Boots. I have two pairs of Iron Rangers, and I've had Red Wing boots for the last. 15, 20 years, but mm-hmm. I had the mock toes, the, they're, um, they're actually not steel toes, they're PVC toes. And those are some of my favorite for going to concerts because they don't set off the alarm, but they absolutely give your feet protection as somebody who has lost two big toenails to bigger women in stiletto heels. Uh, it is a absolute fear that I have every single day that I'm going to have to go through that again. So having like, I always try and wear a protective toe when I go to shows, if I'm going to be on the floor. Um, but as great as they are, they, they don't look, they don't like, I can't walk into a nice restaurant and feel good about wearing those unless it really is like 20 below out here. What iron Rangers, iron, iron Rangers, I think look nice enough. With jeans. That With they, jeans. Yeah, that yeah. They can go kind of both You're not ways. Gonna wear them with a suit. Right. I actually have, I think you can dress them up. Well, and, and we'll see like mm. even, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't think like with my caraway suits that I'd wear them. I feel like sure, I, I'd, I'd want to wear something like, a Oh no, this was like a sleek. thick wool. Winter yeah. Suit. yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, I wear them with my, like uh, I have a, what I call a Minnesota tuxedo. I have like a denim suit. Oh yeah. They go great. Like yep. the brown ones go perfectly. With yeah. Them. I would, I would love that. And I also have a weird fascination with oxblood boots or whatever Merlot burger. There's all True. kinds of different terms. Like yeah. oxblood is yeah, what's yeah. in my head. I like that because I think it looks beautiful with black tones. And I also think it looks beautiful with neutrals. Uh, like the sure. sw- sweater I'm wearing, wearing right now is like mustard cream oxblood and, and like brown. Like I like that color. So For I sure. like having something that's versatile. Yeah, if you have some that. red, like a mm-hmm. copper or, or like an oxblood, you could also wear it with uh, like a, some, like a shirt that has a black tones. Right. I, Cause I normally wouldn't mix. I don't like mixing black and brown. Ever. Correct. Um, but that color is because of the red hue yeah. makes it a little it, it just it brightens it up enough for me where I don't find it weird. Um, and then uh, the Thursday Boot Company is the other one. Uh, I had found that organically online a few months ago, and I've sort of been lusting after it. And now I've looked at it enough that it just floods my social media constantly with ads. And um, it's it's basically similar in style to that. These are, I'm just rocking some Chelsea's out right now. Some gray, slate gray Chelsea's. Those seem like good for account visits. Yeah, they're great. I love it. Um, I don't, 
these are calfskin, and even with a wax coating on it, I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how well they're going to do in the winter. Totally. So I haven't worn these in salty ass uh, conditions yet. But the Thursdays are cool; they're all handmade. Um, they walk you through when you go to the website. It walks you through every single layer on the shoe. Uh, so I also really, I dig that. Again, I think this is also a range of access because Thursday is going to be the most accessible. Mm-hmm. Then Red Wing, then someone recommended Alden. Yep. But Red, I think Red Wing would be right around the range of, because I recommended Club Caraway. You can do full custom. You can do whatever you want. Materials, soles, you can print on them. We I, do anything and it's between 350 and 450, which is around the range of Red Wing. And then Alden would be just north of that. I will also say if any of you are listening out there, um, you can get, anything made at club caraway custom for you, even if you're not in, in Minnesota. And I went on the website and played around with the custom shoes. It is very fun because you, you can, can do, do anything. You can do anything. And so if you just want to design your perfect boot, do that. I lost like 45 minutes this morning. I got up early. I was all, I got, I showered, I had my espresso and then whoops, you can, I, ADD caught me. <laughs> you can treat it like a wrestling video game, create a character, make clowns yeah, if you want. Exactly. You can, yeah. do anything in there. Yeah. So, like that that's rad and that's probably what i'll work up to um but yeah it's i i'm just excited about that i like the fact that like footwear has become something that guys want to talk about with each other and not just is it like fucking gucci or some bullshit like that like it's a part of like we don't have as many accessories right as guys it's gucci to talk about but it's not gucci right so if we're if we're gonna did be that right yes you did <laughs> and if we're gonna be accessor guys we only have a couple things that we can mess with and i like i still i've, I've finally got back into wearing watches again and i like having interesting shoes i think the heritage movement uh gave like men cover yes to show interest yes you know 100 percent agree um charles what about you Accessor guys. Accessor guys. I thought you were going to snipe me. I thought you were going to snipe me. So for me, it's suits uh, because I like layering. Uh, Jackets Mm. would be an easy one. I have way too many jackets. I should probably cycle a couple out, but I love being able to wear my Caraway, Club Caraway suits and A, not feel overdressed, B, not feel like I'm going to be overheated. Um, And just this is the time of year where you can wear a suit to... uh, fast casual dinner and it's not going to seem like you're there to propose (laughs) and you know the jacket gives you versatility because you can take it off if you'd like to but just knowing that i don't have to look forward to a wedding to wear Mm -hmm. one of my club caraway suits i can just say i'm wearing a suit tonight for no good reason and then at least notify my wife because she'll want to dress accordingly Mm -hmm. um but yeah i'd say that's my favorite thing about when it gets cooler Mm -hmm. you wear a suit so what are y'all's no thoughts on informal neckwear? All in, because I, I specialize in that, Pip. Mm. Informal what? Neckwear. neckwear. What does that mean? Well, like, I don't know. I've just, I've recently become very enamored of the, like, old school definition of casual, uh-huh. which yeah. is, like, I think, you know, it's like, I mean, there's a, some, there's multiple, but it's like, you know, the one I saw was like, you wore your college tie. That's casual. Oh, like gotcha. College tie gotcha. instead okay. of a like, you know, I, I, really I like guess it, neckwear, like, okay. like uh, to well, be so, a loop, then, I didn't know what you meant. If like, if you meant necklaces or ascots. Or, well, so then it gets <laughs> interesting because, okay. you know, like, so I've just, I've been, you know, reading of late uh, about how it was, you know, once upon a time you were naked if you didn't have something around your neck. Yeah, sure. And, so and if, and, uh, if you were outside a hat. Yep. And so if, it, yeah. And so if it wasn't, you know, the old, you know, the necktie, then it was like a scarf tucked into your like open collar or something. And like, yeah. I'm trying, you know, like trying to imagine this 
Uh, yeah. I, I I mean, okay, so I am I am somebody who, ha- I think I have seven ascots. I have probably 15 to 20 bow ties. Uh, and I love, I love wearing a bow tie with just a shirt and like nothing else going on. Well, I mean, I'm not Donald Duck in it or Winnie the Pooh in it, but like, you know, oh, like- I will You're also not COVID zooming it. Yeah. Yes. I'll, I'll wear, but I'll, I'll do either of those without even having a sport coat on. And I enjoy that. Um, mm. the, the ascot is the one right now that I feel like that's empowered the most male people in my world mm-hmm. has been like, Oh shit. I didn't know you could do that. I'm like, yeah. Cause then I don't have to have my shirt buttoned all the way up to the top button. It feels a little bit more easy, breezy, a little bit looser, but it's also like a conversation piece. It's something different. You don't have to retie the whole thing. Like, I think I'm pretty, I'm good enough that I could do a bow tie or a regular necktie without a mirror, but not even having to worry about that. You just pull the two pieces and it tightens or loosens however you want it. Like it's, it's awesome. I got, a whole bunch of different colors so I can either contrast or I can match what I'm doing. There's patterns and non-patterns. It's rad. I like a shirt and a tie. I like a suit without a tie or with a tie. Uh, but I don't wear bow ties or ascots. Doesn't mean I never will. I just never have. Um, it's one of those things where I think you don't know if it's, you, do, you don't think it's for you until you discover that you like the way that it feels. What, uh, what about you, Pip? Uh, with regards to Any, yeah, yeah, where's your yeah. Where's your informal yeah. neckwear game? Oh, you know, I've got a couple ties and bow ties. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the thing is, is like, I feel like you, I always feel like I need an occasion to justify something, if that makes okay. sense. So like, sure. I'm not necessarily going to just, I'm not going to like overdress. I'm rarely going to overdress for an event. I like to think at least, uh, you know, and so like really only weddings and, and affairs like that rise to the level of necktie but i am i guess i'm 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 asking this question because i'm trying to talk myself into the occasional jaunty scarf yeah yeah i got you <laughs> i was yeah t- I, you you strike me as being stylish but a little less formal i just don't want it to look like i care Ooh, i like <laughs> that so I mean? spend a lot of money to look like you haven't spent any money mm-hmm. which I is one of my favorite things that a friend said to me about a bar for me it's more like Basically, like, know what colors you like and then kind of whatever you, and make sure, you know, and just maybe it's a little more than that, you know, what materials you like. Sure. And then if you just, you just, whatever you pull usually kind of melds, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I feel that way about you your fashion as well, Charles. Like, I feel like it's always, it's always well put together. Like, both of you gentlemen, whenever I've seen you, like, there's clearly thought that was put into what what's going on, but it's not like waving a flag Hey, check out this fucking outfit. Yeah, I wear a lot of sweatshirts. I yep. like wearing sweatshirts. I have, you know, myriad hoodies and pullover sweatshirts, but I also have a lot of sweaters and pullovers. And it's just more often than not on a Tuesday morning, I want to throw on some jeans, pull a hoodie over my head and put on some boots. Okay, like so theory I just made up, but yeah, everyone has clothing that like universal items of clothing that they just don't like or don't look good in or don't mm-hmm. wear. Sure. I am I am not a hoodie guy. I like I have. Mm. I've owned many. Yeah, I got you. But okay. I rarely wear them mm. and I just don't think I look good in them. Okay. I have maybe left my house four or five times in my life with a pullover. <laughs> like a pullover hoodie. Yeah. I, I have to have a, a zip and I like I f I don't know why. I I feel like oh even worse if there's no hood if it's just like a like an old school like high school sweatshirt. Like just your traditional a crew neck, a crew neck yeah. pull over your head. So I, I can't, I fucking hate it. 
Really? Like, I, I couldn't even tell you why. There wasn't, like, a time I got made for... I just hate it. I can't mm-hmm. fucking stand it. I stopped wearing... I went all zip, because I liked having the zip zip, and then I went no zip. I don't think I've wore, worn a zip-up hoodie in at least a year. Mm. Uh, I... I don't know. I like how it feels, like how it's snug. Also, you don't get the funny little zipper boner. Oh, well, I get it. Like, I also don't. I very I don't rarely. Like when the little zipper does the thing. In the I very rarely have it zipped up. Like I always have it open. Okay, so like, that's I, just, I don't do that move. But you yeah. do that. Yeah, you do that with button ups too. You yep. keep them open. Are you yep. on the, the the hellscape formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. No, I've never been a Twitter. Are you still on? I am. Um, you know the workwear guy. Mm-hmm. He. Uh, He's his his corpus, his body of work is worth familiarizing yourself with him because he's really sharp about clothing. And then, well, his he's very very funny, incisive about his politics. Is all I will say about it. Okay, my but theory his, just oh sorry, go ahead. Sorry, all I was gonna say was his I, his idea is you're either a khakis guy or a jeans guy. And so my question okay. would be, which are you? <laughs> I'm a jeans guy. Jeans guy. 100%. Jeans guy. Okay, I am a yeah. khakis guy. I okay. do enjoy khakis, and I most of my jeans are not traditional blue jeans. Mm-hmm. They're different colors. And your pink jeans are my favorite. Oh, those are my favorite. Yeah. Literally yeah. my favorite too. You should sew up the holes in the butt cheeks. Never. Nope. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta be free, man. You know, like <laughs> he's just got a couple of safety pins, yeah. you know, at least buy some, you know, no matter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say uh, about Twitter though, is I, I feel like when I go on Twitter and I refuse to call it by its new name, when I go on Twitter, uh, I feel like we're at that part of the zombie movie where we've connected with a few other people on their shortwave radios and you're trying to just like keep each other alive because I don't find anybody Dude. new. I'm not looking for anybody new. Yeah. I'm just talking to the people right. that like we've been in this war together. <laughs> and then like one by one, they're slowly going silent. Trying analogy. to hear one another's voices through all the crackling. Yep. That's that's yeah. that's that's all I view. Like I haven't I haven't added a new person on Twitter since Elon took over. That's that's really? where I'm at right okay. now. I let my account go to go to well get deleted in May. Oh, yeah. okay, fuck yeah. it. Yeah, I'm the jeansiest jeans guy. I don't wear shorts. I'm always wearing jeans. I don't leave my house wearing pants that don't have a zipper on them. I mean, I like once in a blue moon I'll go to my mom's house in like track pants, but. 99.9% of the time I'm leaving my house in jeans. Do you have like a certain, like a minimum threshold of slovenliness that you like to exceed? <laughs> Such a great question. I don't No, I no. I so really the track don't. pants thing is not, it's just, you're not. In I'm synthetic. comfortable in them. And I, I think honestly, the primary reason is I don't want shit falling out of my pockets. Yeah. Uh, and also <laughs> like I'll sleep, I'll sleep in sweats or track pants. I feel like if I leave the house like that, I don't even like being, okay, here's another thing. If I'm working at home, I have to put real pants. Yep. On. Same, same, I just, same. I feel like oh, I'm not really you working. Poor. Oh no. You no, poor drones. I, this I, is I do it. That's what I do. No, Be but free, I feel, gentlemen. I feel comfortable that way though. <laughs> I, I will, I will scan my emails and all that shit with just underwear on in bed. But with the minute that I get up and have to do something intentional, yeah. where I'm like sending out communications to other people, not just like, yep, heard, you know, like really like talking to somebody about work. I have to flip that switch in my head. Otherwise I have a very, yes. very, it's a slippery slope down to, he hasn't left his house in like We also maneuver months. a lot. Yep. And I don't want to have to get dressed and like do the rest of getting ready when I know that I, at any point could have to go like visit Fact. a client or yeah. a printer or something. Part of it is that I'm getting that part of the, you know, the, the day out of the way at the outset so that it doesn't become a distraction while I'm trying to actually focus on production. But there is, I'll admit that a part of it is that I don't like sitting at my desk and being 
worky guy when I look like I did while I was passed out three hours ago. Some of my most productive moments have been in a robe and slippers. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I don't begrudge you that. No, and yeah, no. You know, I've I've honestly never given this any thought until right now. I went to the grocery store for the first time in sweatpants, literally ever. Yeah. Uh, about six months ago, eight months ago. Okay. How did uh, it make you feel, Quam? Well, I was like, why haven't I done this? Because I was just okay. like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I put, I've talked about this before. I put headphones in. I'll wear sunglasses. I do not want you to talk to me in the grocery store. I go in pretending like I'm on a safari and nobody can see me because I have my special AirPods in and I have my own music and like, I don't want to interact with anybody. I literally, I think honestly, because I used to wear warm up pants all the time when I was in like junior high and high school. And honestly, I think it was like one, I can't hide this boner situation. And I got rid of it. And then thus 30 years go by. <laughs> now yeah. I feel comfortable. Like I, I can control that part. Yeah. Sweatpants at the same time. Didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> the minute it happens to you, you're like, cool. I'm never doing that again. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I was a kid, I used to draw a lot. I became an artist. So obviously that's natural, but I drew like a fake goosebumps, uh, book cover called curse of the ill time boner. Yes. And as a kid with a book in his lap, yep. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> with the alarm going off. It's like the alarm was vibrating. Oh man. <laughs> like, We've oh, all no! done it. Yep. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> all right. Well, well cheers to that, so, I guess. Sure. <laughs> it's a weird thing to cheers to, but <laughs> hey man, boners are fun. <laughs> okay. That's a weird thing to cheers to. Is it? I also want to make sure that for everyone listening that I spelled that with a Z in my head. Nice. Hey, uh, boner jams. Switch us about what we're drinking. Yeah, buddy. Uh, we're, we're, we're drinking an old friend. Uh, shout out to our, our sponsors from beam Suntory. Uh, I was fortunate enough this last, uh, Sunday to attend a Vikings professional football game. Uh, which resulted in a win. So it was a very joyous crowd, and we decided to go out for drinks afterwards. And um, a couple of our friends in the spirits industry were with us. And uh, one of one of our good friends, a uh, friend of the podcast, Tyler Kleinow from Meteor, uh, we walked up to the bar, and he just said, Old Granddad and Coke. And I saw the speed of the bartenders. Let's just say we were at an unnamed hotel bar that was not prepared for a post football game rush. And uh, for any of you that have ever worked in the service industry, I'm sure you just started sweating because you know exactly what all of those words put together mean. So we realized really quickly, any, anyone in any city in the world with big sports clubs, (laughs) big sports balls, hotel bar, daytime staff post game. Yeah. So I was like, okay, no, no stirred cocktails, no shaking cocktails, either beer or single spirit, single mix. What are we going to do? Tyler, without even missing a beat, hits us with that. And I was like, yup, sounds good. I truly cannot tell you that I've ever had one of those before, but the bottle they pulled out was old granted bonded. So it's the, oh, so he said whiskey Coke. He, he say, did he say bourbon Coke? He said say? old granddad Coke. So he said, old. he granddad. straight up okay. called it. Like he had already scammed yeah, the bottles. Because cool, what have what you just said? I thought maybe he said whiskey. Nope. Okay. He yep, called it out. Yep. And she was like, literally, I think looked thankful because the people in front of us, continuing a trend, Charles ordered espresso Those martinis, martinis. and <laughs> it's this unending. poor. I mean, she was trying so hard, but this is like I'm talking like a two hands on the bottle pour. We don't have pour spouts on stuff. Like I mean, it was it was a nightmare, but. She like looked at us like, oh, thank you. And we hit that shit and I took a sip and I, I, again, I don't know that I've ever put those two things together. I've had plenty of whiskey Cokes. I'm not being that snobby. 
uh, I never had those two things together. And I was like, shit, that's really good. And because of the extra heat and shit, the, that's fresh. Yeah. Because of the extra heat and spice that comes from a, a, a bonded bottle, the, the Coke actually kind of like tamped it down a little bit. And weirdly, I felt like I could taste some, some different fruitier flavors in it. So it just got me thinking. And I said, Hey, you know, we're always going to give our, our tip of the cap to the sponsors. And this bottle is, it, it's great. It's yeah, it's fantastic. I, uh, I use one fourteen at home for, for drinks. I love the, the higher proof, just giving a little bit more oomph and not having to over pour it. Um, especially if you partition it in an old fashioned, you correct. get a little rye, a little bit of a proof yeah. bottle of whiskey. Yeah. I am a, I am a company man these days for a, a different team, but I will say that you would, you would have never made me mad by pulling out the old granddad. Yeah, of course. And that's the thing, like, you know, everybody, you know, professionally, we, that's why we call it out that it's one of our sponsors. It's wonderful that, uh, that they have such a diverse portfolio that we can drink from, but I also love that we can drink these incredible, beautiful products from, from other folks and talk about it too. Yeah. Like, you know, well, it's also how listeners should know we're not bullshitters because yeah. we're not like everybody else go away. Right. Uh, we enjoyed the keeper's heart and our trying something very different. Mm-hmm. That is also spectacular. Yeah. In, in very different ways. For sure. Uh, but yeah. All right. So, uh, <laughs> actually speaking of that and, and ordering drinks <laughs> at daytime hotel bars, uh pip what's a shunned drink spirit or beverage that you wished you didn't have to justify to people and we're just like don't it's awesome just just try it mm, something and, so something underrated uh, yeah and does not have to be alcoholic yeah something underappreciated. underappreciated just a beverage of any style and if you want to think about it for a second that's totally fine because that's kind of an on-the-spot question mm. i guarantee you that that charles has an answer already queued up I want to hear it. I'm right. sure you know my answer. Dirty vodka martinis. I know. So about a year ago, it felt like the tide was starting to turn in my favor. When I have dirty martinis, I'm a total savory slut. So if I have a dirty martini, I want it to be as savory as possible, which is usually achieved by utilizing the neutrality of a vodka. And then lots and lots of, like, I like it real dirty. It was kind of funny being at White Limousine in Limousine. Nashville with Quam, where we got our $40 martinis. That we didn't realize until Quam paid for them. And he's like, wow, those are $40. But I asked for dirty vodka martini. I didn't even say how dirty, and he made them as dirty as I like them. But Quam instantly started, like, pouring water in his. And I was like, is he just doing that? Because I saw him do it with, I've, see, I've seen him do it with, like, Americanos. So I was like... Is this just a thing that he does? Uh, our friend Paul Butenhoff does a similar thing. He just supplements water into almost anything he's drinking. But I couldn't understand why you were doing it. And then I was like, oh, shit, maybe it was a little too dirty. Mm. And then when we left, you were like, can't believe it was $40. is undrinkable. And I'm like, oh, dude, I loved it. <laughs> like, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Dude, the, the funniest part was I, I wish you had been looking at me because you ordered and then you took a step back. It was very loud in there. So yep. you did the exact polite thing where two of us are ordering. So you ordered first and then you stepped back so I could step forward and also order. And I wish you could have seen my, I wish you could have been the bartender. Because I pump faked like a quarterback trying to look off a of safety because I was like, God, can I really order a dirty vodka martini? Like I, it's, you had ordered something else. What had you ordered? Cause I remember you told him what you wanted and then you were like, you know what? Make it two. Yep. Um, I, oh, I said a Negroni and then okay. I saw what the fuck was going on yeah. and I was like, nope, if he's making one, just do two. I'm fine with it because I forget that when I make 
dirty martinis at home. It's like a, it's like a, a suissant of savory, you know? Like I'll do, I'll, sometimes I'll just use a little like MSG dilution. Sometimes I'll do pickle brine. Sometimes I'll do olive brine. I live in an olive-free house thanks to my spouse. So it's not always that I have a normal brine in there. This motherfucker grabbed, it, this was not like a little, like a pour it out of the cup or like a, oh, we got the jar. It was like a, it was a bottled mix. It was a 750 of the darkest beef broth looking olive brine yeah. I have ever seen. Which is the kind of shit I want. Yeah, and he fucking, he hit it yeah. and then was like, yo girl, I'm gonna hook you up with like a skeet, skeet. And I was like, oh, what have I done? What have I done? And then he, you know, he poured them out. And again, I knew that you were enjoying it. Uh, the the Americano thing, I just like stretching it out because I drink Americanos too quick. Yeah. No, so I just keep adding water to yep. it so that I slowly drink my coffee and I consume water For while sure. doing yeah, it. Yeah, no, I didn't need a permission. That motherfucker, <laughs> I was absolutely yes. diluting because nope, I'm like, I got you. what on earth is this? Yeah, but so for me, I, when I'm drinking bitter things or... Uh, salty, savory things, particularly late at night, I feel so oversaturated with sugar because I just, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, I get to a point when I'm drinking cocktails all evening and Pip, to your credit, like your drinks are, they have a great neutral quality. And there, there are several places I can say in the cities where I know if I go drink there, I can have five cocktails and not feel like I have to drink a jar full of olive juice. But a lot of times I go out drinking and I reached this point where I almost need like this healing salve or like a sugar, antidote. acid, sugar, acid, sugar. Yeah. Acid, sugar, I need acid. just give me salt and bitter. Mm -hmm. And I, that's often achieved by having like a really, really dirty martini. It's like a curing ointment um, or doing various Amaros and or Malort. Yep. Like just make, give me something really acerbically bitter because it's going to like make me feel refreshed. I think there's a reason that the, you know, especially like maybe the, the, the past, the snobby bartenders of the past shunned the dirty martini. Um, and, you know, the, the, the reason they give was it's, it's post-prohibition, right? It's mm -hmm. supposedly like an FDR drink, uh, F, an FDR invention. Mm. And all the pre-prohibition cocktails basically all call for sugar. And right. so I think that's like probably the justification for the justification for not carrying or for, you know, not making that drink or not taking pride in that drink. Sure. Um, but I, I never get pushback from bar people for the drink. It's from my friends who I'm with. They say, why aren't you using gin? Mm -hmm. Oh, the vodka question. And, yeah. and I will admit Interestingly, that I, I want to continue to hear what you were saying about the pushback on it. I was just going to say like my shit wasn't worried about the bartender. I literally was like, I've, I don't order this normally. Is this a thing that I can do? Sorry, go ahead. No, not at all. You should You should never, I mean, I just think like you should never worry about pushback from the bartender, yeah. right? Like it's just so yeah. like, but it's that I can even say that bartenders gave pushback is kind of a sign of where the industry was maybe yeah. 15 years ago where like it was really a rare exclusive thing and you had to look for it. And so like people took on airs, you know? Um, but that, that, whole, that whole category of basically drinks without sugar Mm -hmm. any any you know as soon as you remove the sugar the balance falls apart and you have to rewrite the rules and right. it's such an interesting opportunity that i really think the person who can like make the you know the the next dirty martini is going to have you know that's a, that's going to be a big deal that drink because yeah absolutely it's something i also appreciate about ordering a dirty vodka martini is that no two are quite alike mm. so it tells me a little bit of something about 
bartender as well because I never I never specify like make it really dirty unless they ask. I want you to it's come. Seen, I want you to come through the distillery, and yeah. we should do like a dirty martini tasting. Yeah, I'll just try like seven different ways of extracting olives into like you know I, however we do it, sure. and, and you can give me notes. I'm curious. Yeah. It know. doesn't even just have to be olives because it's actually one of the things I've enjoyed most about places like Anime in San Diego is they have like this tincture they make of a dirty mix and there's a lot of stuff in it and it's really beautiful and fragrant and the it, it's it, there's a lot of balance in herbal qualities and saline but for me if i don't know if i'm like whatever i don't know where i'm getting the juice from it's probably going to be a shitty jar of olives then now i know i'm just getting salt and a little olive flavor we have a kimchi gibson on the menu let's Fuck, go what? come on you do <laughs> i just realized yeah come Holy on about this. i'll see you tomorrow yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that just that just made my nipples hard. Yeah, the uh, so you know it's good thing I'm not wearing sweatpants. The, uh, Korean fried chicken. Yeah, place. yeah. Yes. So we there, you know, in Malcolm Yards across the yeah, road from right. us, and, and also in South Minneapolis. So we, so good. We went over there. We borrowed some some kimchi brine. We took some kimchi oh. and. Yeah, I'm in. Well, I'm and I are obsessed with kimchi yeah. and drinks because Meteor was doing kimchi backs for Mezcal, Mezcal Ooh, brilliant. Uh, because they're using kimchi on their hot dogs. And we actually at one point drank them out of their kimchi juice because we were just knocking back shots. Yeah. And they're like, we think we can make one more if we squeeze out the very oh. end. It's it, like it, it's I, beautiful. I, yeah, it, it and it makes all the sense. Like when you think about building a cocktail, it makes all the sense in the world. I'm just so mad that at no point in my last 20 years did I think about that. So fucking bravo to you. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm, wait until you try it. You, you never know. Probably suck. <laughs> Pip, did that pull anything yeah. out for you? What's up? That pull out anything out for like a what's underrated up? drinks? Yeah. Um, I mean, is this uh, is you know maybe the maybe the whiskey coke is underrated? Uh, I mean, You're I guess I wrong. just said the I guess I just agreed with you the, the dirty martini is underrated, it, and that's okay. We can have agreement on that. Like if you're like that's a thing that I also wish people could figure out. Like let's roll. You know, I always liked uh, I always liked Budweiser. I always thought that was like just a really simple, clean taste that like people kind of overlooked, especially with like Bud Light, which I, I didn't really like, but Budweiser. Back in the day, I genuinely enjoyed it. I spent a long time telling people because when I was DJing, I liked uh, I liked having light beer because I knew exactly what the ABV was in every one of them. And after you get to know all the bartenders in a nightclub, they'll burn every cocktail that you make and they'll overpour every shot. And I would tell people, they'd be like, I can't believe you're drinking that. You could have anything here. I was like, listen, I like beer and I like soda water, and this is halfway between both. <laughs> so I'm yeah. good with it. Like it was just a, a nice way to like moderate my intake. So I knew what was going on. And I think that just built an affinity for it. And I still like when I'm really hot, when I'm in a hot club, that is the most refreshing thing because it's beer and it's salt water. <laughs> well, there's always these uh, attempts to make the subjective seem ob objective, right? So like people who will mm. try to justify their opinions uh, in kind of ways that, make it seem like you can't really argue with it. You know what sure. I mean? Like, I, I don't know, like the discourse around um, flavor in whiskey, you know, or like flavor in spirits, call it, and sort of basically saying, well, vodka is objectively not a good product because it has no mm. flavors, you know, quote unquote. Um, but those, you know, those definitions always change, like over time. Sure. Right. Um, my answer to this, uh, it, it's hilarious because, you can use this for evil, much like we were talking about with the internet. <laughs> this is a tool that you need to wield, wield specifically. But uh, I had, um, speaking of Meteor earlier, uh, I went by there last night. 
the Jewel of the South from New Orleans was yeah, doing a was pop thinking, up with I was Chris. Thinking of going, yeah. And uh, Chris's cocktails were incredible, but uh, I also they have a new menu there, and I was checking it out. Sure. And they have a drink on their menu called Circle Pit, that is Jagermeister Citrus Coconut. And I literally looked at former guest of the podcast Rob Jones, and I was like, I'm, I'm not even going to ask any questions. Like, fuck me up. Let's go. <laughs> and. <laughs> It was 100% served in a labelless tin soup can uh, with a with a, a like a frond of fresh mint on it. But I'll be damned if that cocktail didn't fuck me up. And I feel like amongst my group of peers, like I have at least a little bit of respect for like my palate. Like I think this is really good. If I said this recipe works, I think a lot of people would be like, oh, maybe I'll give it a shot. That drink... <laughs> I could not get a single human being to even be like, oh, yeah, maybe. And I'm like, okay, so this cocktail bar made this and decided it was good. They posted it on their social media. And now the person that you came here with is like, this is really good. You should try this. And everybody's like, no, I can't. And so, again, I'm not suggesting that anybody does highballs of Red Bull Yag. I'm not saying that it's your turn to have seven shots of Jägermeister on your way out the door to pre-party before we go as something that a couple of friends of mine used to do. I do think though that anything, if it, I mean, if it was, if it was made to have all of these things inside of it, right? All these different ingredients, you can use it for good as well. And it just reminded me that we have to stop saying like, that's all shit. And that is good because this is, like macro or popular or associated with something else. And this is niche. There's niche stuff that can still be made poorly. And there's macro stuff that can be made cool. You just have to figure out how to balance all that out. And I didn't even feel like that was like a weird iron bartender flex. It was just a good cocktail. And you could taste the notes of Jägermeister in it. And it made me rethink like, I've been shitting on this for a long time. Like maybe I'm wrong. So now I kind of want to fuck around with it. Oh, I mean, if you remarketed Jägermeister's and Amaro, it would be in cocktail ball bars all, yeah. all around the country. The the newest sweet Amaro. Well, I think my my main discomfort with, you know, this idea of declaring like an in, you know like if you like declaring an entire product category sus, you know, suspect somehow, mm-hmm. it, my my discomfort with that is mainly that it also seems to be used then to judge the people who like it. Correct. Absolutely. And, and that's really where it it gets you know, it gets really problematic, I think. Yeah, my philosophy is uh, I like it or I dislike it is fundamentally different than saying this is good or this is bad. Mm-hmm. And I do say at times that, like, you can tell me that something that is pretty close to being objectively bad is something that you like, but you can tell, can't tell me it's good. And But I've used that to refer to things like um, Netflix dating shows, Right. But in regard to something like Jägermeister, someone, yeah, someone can say, I don't like it or I like it, right? That's, you can't argue with that. Right. But a lot of people still will, right? Yep. I, I, I think, again, you know, quoting Eastman as we always do, it's your mouth is the best argument. Like, I'm, I'm the only one. I don't care what you think I should be putting in my mouth. I'm only going to put the things it's, in my mouth that I want in my mouth. It's my fucking mouth. And I'm experiencing what... Your mouth is telling yes. your brain. End of argument. Like, we're good there. But I also think, Charles, you made a great point that saying, I don't like that, or I'll even say, I fucking hate that, 
But yep. that's different than calling something trash objectively. Well, and it's interesting to hear people who are really, really deep in something talk about it versus people who are not deep in it, but maybe interested in it. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when it gets to things like, like whiskey and you get into situations where you're trying to impress a date or whatever, kind of like um, it just gets uh, a little, I don't know, just a little weird. Yeah. You know? Like it, it turns into, are we even talking about the product? Or are you just trying to find ways to talk shit about folks? Right. Versus like, you know, the people who I know who are the most knowledgeable, they're usually, you know, they're, they're talking about the details, the pro- properties of the thing itself. And they're open and curious and have like really kind of a scientific almost mind about it rather than trying to like mm. ex- exercise judgment. Sure. You know, it's, yeah. it's really often like open-minded <sighs> and, and interested uh, at the, not the a level. Critique, of, it's like a molecular breakdown. It, it wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it at a certain point, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go too far with that. But no, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I think that you know, I, re, I reserve the right to um, kind of riff on things, right? Like we like to in in conversation say like, "Oh my god, this is wonderful," or "Oh, that's really bad. I'm never drinking that again." Um, but also, yeah, being diplomatic, especially in professional scenarios where you're like interfacing with somebody about um, you know the beverages that you do and don't like having some diplomacy or just you know there's or, or like okay brian nation our master distiller right yeah. he knows a lot about whiskey um and you could probably bring him a whiskey he really didn't like mm-hmm. and sure he'd taste it and he'd yeah. go oh i don't like this you know he'd say oh well with this whiskey, there is, you know, a defect here and there's a burnt note here and there's this problem in the, you know, in the distillation and I taste these things, you know? He, what he wouldn't say is this whiskey is shit. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's the difference I'm trying to describe where it's like oh, when course. you know something about it, you really hone in on what it is versus like yeah. just making these grand, act, you know, statements. The difference between, yeah, approaching it in like a professional environment, being diplomatic versus, you know, being in the comfort of your own home and maybe even being self-critical of something you made that you don't like. Yeah. I, I, the, in the, in the beer industry, that was the last big argument that I had in public was about a diacetyl infection. Like that's not, I'm not, yeah. I'm and the guy was like, Oh, you're just saying my beer sucks. I'm I mean, like, no, 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 no. I'm literally saying that that is, that's unintended and that is a bacterial infection and that's not okay. Like you did not brew this to taste like movie theater popcorn. You did not, this was not washed in man cinemas bags of popcorn. Sure. That is bacteria and that's a different thing. The, so don't, don't I think the tell only me. area where that could be problematic is if it's a beer style where there is some naturally occurring diacetyl. And Dude, they're like, go ahead and, and promise like, you that was not what this beer go, was. Right? I'm saying that would <laughs> yeah. be the only Correct. instance where, Correct. yep. If, okay. if wild ferment was anywhere in there, like, let's go. That's fine. But yeah, again, if you're, but that's still, I didn't say this beer is trash. I said, bro, this is infected and I need you to know that. And that was not received in the same way. And I walked away from it. But cheers it up to something that's not infected and is also delicious. Cheers, granddad. Mm. All right. Charles. Next topic. So you've spent a lot of time honing your craft around the world. You've always ended up back here. Can you earnestly imagine yourself living elsewhere someday? Or are you a Twin Cities lifer? At this point, I think I'm here. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm, I guess I would say I'm at peace with that now and maybe even happy about it. Um, it's, this is, you know, this is a great, I think, opportunity to build here. I just think there's good things happening and there's going to be more good things happening. And yeah. I think we are really just kind of an embryo as a city. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just excited at the opportunity to like shape something in a way that, you know, the larger markets that I've spent time in, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. You know, it's, you, you go to like, I moved to London. They, they don't need me there. You know, it was a great, sure. it was a great learning adventure, but any idea of like, you know, I don't know. I don't even want to say leaving my mark because that's kind of a egotistical way to think about it, but you're not going to do that there. Mm-hmm. Here you can, you can help like be part of the conversation that co- turns into something great someday. So, yeah. In your travels, did you ever feel like you might stay where you were? I would, I would absolutely have lived in Japan if that had worked out. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, you know, some people it's France and for me it's Japan, you know, everyone, mm-hmm. some, it, there's cultures that resonate with people and right. there's just something there. Can, I, I'm sorry. I don't remember the time. Can you remember how, how long were you there? Uh, two and a half years. Yeah. In Osaka. Fuck, in man, that's amazing. It was a, it was a great experience. Yeah. <sighs> but you know, I mean, uh, my Japanese just wasn't good enough to do yeah. anything like credibly. So it's a, it's a hard place to break into. Mm. For sure. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm the same way with Norway. Uh, I'm at the point now where, you know, in my mid forties, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to like risk trying like a whole new thing somewhere else. But I also am at the point now where if I'm lucky enough to still be alive in the, the latter third of my life in, in an expected life, I, I still think now what it is is I might try and find somewhere to, to fill out the end of my time. And I mean, to answer the question, Charles, like, that's it. Like when we were in New York, I will always have a piece of my heart that lives in New York city, but that piece of my heart is 26 years old. Like that's not me now. Yeah, we, that's we like discussed expressly that yep, whether yep. that part of us could ever come back. Yep. And like, you know, I feel that way uh, about Denver as well. I used to dream about living there growing up. My uncle lived in Denver and having a single mom, she just wanted to ship me off as much as she could. So I got to spend a lot of formative time there. Uh, I got to have a lot of birthdays there. I'm absolutely going back to Casa Bonita now that it's reopened and I'm going to party it up there. Cause I had a couple birthday parties there, but that's like, that's, that's young me now. I think if, if, if I'm going to live somewhere else, at this point, it will probably be doing some sort of a weird ass like Viking homecoming <laughs> where I just want to like live out my last days and then be set afire on a boat and have no gravestone and leave no mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Charles? It's, I'd say it's nebulous for me, but it's almost a certainty that at some point I will move likely out of the country specifically now that could be in 18 months or that could be in 18 years i don't know that yet and i'm keeping my options open i have a lot of business interests here i have family here lots of friends here but there's a part of me fucking podcast sorry nice thing about podcasts you can do that from anywhere but it's a part of me that wonders if I had pursued opportunities when I was younger to live somewhere, even temporarily, if it would have shifted my mindset about where I'm meant to be, not in a 
sense of fate or something like that. But if I had moved to New York when I was offered mm-hmm. my job there in my twenties, if I would have looked at my time and experience there and said, Oh yeah, I wasn't meant to be in Minnesota. And I love the twin cities. I love where I reside, Northeast Minneapolis. Um, no matter where I go is always going to have a piece of my heart, but there are things about society now that are turbulent, that are in the air that I don't feel terribly confident about, particularly as a person of color. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about where I live on sort of a year to year basis. So I'm always keeping my option open, but I never feel like I would leave because I was running. I feel like there will come a point where I decide for affirmative and positive reasons that I want to try to make a life with Mm -hmm. Marnie somewhere that is not here. And we talk about it from time to time. I don't know where it'll be and I don't know when it'll be. I just know that at some point it's pretty likely that that will occur. I get it, man. I, you know, again, like it's also rad that, you know, with her being so fluent in Spanish, like that opens up a lot of doors too, because then it's not trying to figure out like how do two people navigate. What else, mom? What? What else? What else? What? I speak Arabic. Oh, I <laughs> sorry. I was just saying having, having She's a spouse only bilingual. I, yeah. I think we know that. And we've talked about that a lot in the show. I was just saying like, it's rad when you're thinking about your partner and moving that it opened, that also opens up a lot of things, you know? Well, we're certainly more likely to go somewhere Spanish speaking than Arabic speaking. That's a fact. I, I, okay. I, I wasn't going to argue that. I just meant, I'm saying it. Yeah. I'm just being a smart ass. That's why I had to bring up that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I guess at this point, I, again, I'm, I'm also jumping into a, a new sort of career stream and this is going to be a, a wildly different thing for me. And the cool part about the company is that it also offers me the ability to travel anywhere. Like yeah. literally on my welcome day, I had to name three other cities that I would think about wanting to move to. And that was an interesting question. But the fact was, if I'm going to still be living in America and under what this version of our government is looking at what we have currently and where it could go. I probably would not choose just a different city because the things that I would want to change are things that are bigger than that. Like not just an environment, but I don't know who knows TBD. Hey, hey. I like it. We got a little, we got a little drive by. (laughs) I love environment. Yeah. New environment. It's kind of rad. Oh, well, hey, cheers to to the place we currently reside, the places we've resided before, and the places we may reside. Oh, I like that. that. I might want to just start cheersing that all the time. What's next, Guam? Uh, Well, (laughs) I loved loved this question because a lot of the questions I, I... I pride myself on like, I could ask anybody this, but the, the start of this question was like just picturing the three of us humans in this room. And I've kind of talked about this to you, Charles, but I've never talked to you about this pip. So all three of us have a penchant for music that challenges, should we say traditional pop sensibilities? And it's something that, uh, as the nerd that I am, that drew me to both of you before I really got to know 
who you guys are. Do you feel that that translates also into other aspects of your life? Or is that something that ends up being specific to music for you? Oh, God. <laughs> no, I mean, music, I was studying jazz drumming at, uh, you know, just after college, playing in bands and, and trying to be a musician. And I started, you know, I met Johnny Michaels and started bartending and saw the creative side of cocktails. Mm. And really all of my musical energy kind of got detoured into that. And so it really informed how I think about drink making. And it, it meant that I, you know, I, I'd never approached it, unfortunately, in some ways from like a chef background, you know, I never approached it from a mind of cooking, of working with spices. Um, it would be hard to explain what I, how I came yeah. at it, but it was really informed by my years spent, you know, <laughs> just trying to dive as hard into music as I could as a it, drummer. It's so weird because that makes such perfect sense to me. Like being a part of, of, of consuming and listening to so many of your cocktail menus. That's the first time that it was like all the pieces clicked. <laughs> like the, the, what's the little, the little box in Hellraiser <laughs> is finally oh, like, fucking. well, I was in Rubik's Cube. <laughs> what's the little box? And then you said Hellraiser. Is <laughs> Rubik's Cube. Sorry, sorry. Clearly you've never seen Hellraiser. <laughs> That's why we solve it, and then everybody cheers, right? <laughs> yeah. That's all, and nothing happens. And your bad. fingers get all stabbed up. <laughs> you know. Well, oh, it's all connected, right? Like yeah. everything is connected to everything, and the, the the more distant a connection you can see, like the more power in this you can you know, in the space that you can work in. Uh, it's, I you know what's funny is um, I don't I think now like there's a there's a musical sense to my cooking. But in back in the day, it was the motions behind the bar that I would try to like move through. It was always like, like if you paid enough attention, you would hear bottles getting set down on the beat. And, you know, like I would, if there was like a, like a, a you know, a, a soaring guitar solo or a big chorus, you get like a longer pour. And I didn't realize I was doing that most of the time. It was just like the, the two had to be linked together because that's, just how my brain works. The energy of the soundtrack is so important. And yes. if, you don't, if you don't have it or if you hate it, uh, yeah, you're not going to have a good flow. Oh, man. Uh, well, I was, you know, I was um, studying technique. I was really into woodshedding as a drummer. Um, and yeah. just, you know, sitting in the basement for three hours and just practicing paradiddles or whatever. And so it was really, I think, really fortunate when I was in Japan and I met Mr. Weta and learned about Japanese technique. And it just was the right time and the right place and the right person. I was very receptive to it. And so these suggestions that I should go back home during my lunch breaks and, like, you know, push rice through a shaker with a chopstick to strengthen my fingers, I was all about it, you know? Wow. That's amazing. Holy shit. Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, Charles, where do you sit on that? I've always had a penchant for like scribbling outside the lines, not drawing outside the lines. And I've had to learn to be a functioning member of society. So I have to corral that a little bit. I've always had to corral that. I feel that the older I've gotten, I'm going to turn this on its head because yes, that is true of everything that I do. And it's not just to be esoteric. I'm not just trying to be eccentric for eccentricity's sake. But I think that the inverse has become true as I age. And what I'm trying to do is be in some ways, be a little bit of more of a normie. Mm -hmm. and accept that like you know when in rome do as the romans do uh i'm trying to be a little more uh following the stream when the the circumstances call for it when your company calls for it 
and just the whole notion of time and place, right? Like Is there we were an example talking, of that. I'm curious. What sure. Like you were talking about drinking a Budweiser ten years ago, mm-hmm. I would have smacked it out of your hand and said, "Drink this instead," <laughs> which is fucking stupid. But <laughs> ten years ago, I thought that that was the right thing to do. But now I might say, like, "What's in the cooler?" And if you told me Budweiser and a hazy double IPA, I would grab a Budweiser. Time and place. It's a hot summer day. Sorry, I'm going to drink that. It's not, it isn't my favorite macro lager, but I would rather have that right now on a hot summer day than the double IPA. Yeah. And I, I prefer to look at, I prefer to look at life that way now, as opposed to always doing the thing that is boldest, sometimes saying, hey, just give me the espresso. Uh, where uh, in Chicago, give me a Chicago dog. Like those are things that I avoided doing for many years. I haven't had a Chicago dog in Chicago in probably 15 years because I've been too busy seeking out Michelin stars or like new pizza places or like new cocktail bars. So I'm like, well, I've done that and I just don't have the calories for it. But now I haven't been to Chicago in a year, which is a long time for me kind of looking forward to having a Chicago dog. Fuck so, yeah. I haven't fucking done it in a long time. And Jesse on episode 100 was talking about his love of Chicago dogs as a former Chicago resident. And I'm like, fuck, it's been a long time since I've had one in Chicago, probably 15 years, but when in Rome, right? So I don't always have to scribble outside the lines or draw outside the lines. Sometimes it's okay to do as, as others do. I, I love that because my, my answer is actually somewhat similar and I did not expect that from, from you, Charles. Uh, but I, I, I sent a song to a friend, the, the origin of this question, I sent a song to a friend and I thought it was going to kind of hit her. She's been on sort of a career ascent and was having a little imposter syndrome. And I mm. sent her this song because I was like, no, no, no. Like I need you to <laughs> yeah. what song. <laughs> I'm not going to No, That one's, that's a private one. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, um, literally it would be me telling you a song that you can't find on the internet right now. So it sucks. But, um, I, I sent it and I was just like, I hope this, this hits you where you're at. And I just want to let you know, really proud of you. uh, And I think you're fucking awesome. And the next day she wrote back, I was, I was, I was a little bit like earlier in the evening when I sent it, I was like, Oh wow. Not even like a. Hey, cool. I'll check it out or whatever. But the next day she was like, I listened to it like seven, seven times last night. It doesn't have a chorus. That's crazy to me. And it literally took that text for me to realize that song didn't have a chorus. (laughs) And I was like, Oh shit. Because I think where I've ended up and I, I don't know, maybe both of you knowing me for a while could speak to this. I think where I've ended up is like, I like to sucker people in with like a, like a big pop hook or like something that gets you and then put some weird stuff in there. And I think I've always been like that. Like I loved when I was DJing, my favorite part of DJing, it wasn't like the craziest buildup and everybody lose their mind. It was when I got away with a weird song that people wouldn't know. And if I could find one person on the dance floor that would like look up at the DJ, be like, what the fuck? That's my favorite feeling ever. And if I have people over and I'm cooking food and I know specifically that somebody just like says they don't like a thing and it's not an allergy, like I'll try and maybe sneak that in and be like, this was really good. And I'm like, also you ate a mushroom. Oh my God. Like little stuff like that I enjoy. And it's to the point now where I think sometimes I don't even register that, oh, this is like, it's, it's left center. It's not all the way left field or all the way right field. 
It's like, it's where when you're a kid and they put the fourth outfield out, out there because they're tired of in the park home runs. Like, it's wherever that fielder would go. I like something that's just weird enough that it won't be mainstream and something that's mainstream enough that it's not just, this is weird for being weird. It's like what I loved about like the early 90s on radio and on late night MTV where you could have really well-made shit that like in any other era never would have made it. But there was something there was something familiar enough that people were like, I mean, I guess I'll check it out. And then they would realize like, oh, I'm actually a little bit of a weirdo too. Like, and I, I, I've realized that I think a lot of my life is that like, I don't know, like I weird flourishes, weird ascots, weird uh, pink jeans, you know, I, I do know. like, I do like things that I, 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 <laughs> I this is, I'm not saying anything right now. Somebody was playing a song for me. It was a John Mayer song. Mm. Uh, they thought I would really like it. And I did not like it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and it's nothing against John Mayer, to be clear. I just didn't like the song. Sure. And I was trying to explain like why I didn't like it. And I was just like, you know, man, this is just, it's just real music. Mm-hmm. It's just a guy with a guitar and a band and he's playing some songs and it just sounds like real music. And I don't like... Usually, unless it's just virtuosic, I usually don't like real music. And, and John Mayer is also virtuosic, but yep. for whatever reason, I like music that sounds kind of like broken or fucked up or insane or just something that yeah. seems like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're presenting something with a familiar veneer, but the, you know, the structure of the song or the like, you know, the fact that there's you know, no chorus or no bass line or whatever it is, you, you know, like is really subversive somehow. That's really what appeals to me. Sure. There's a dude named Odyssey that makes all of his own beats and raps. It's O-D-D-I-S-E-E. Makes all of his own beats and raps. And at least two songs on every album aren't in 4-4. And I love putting that song on when I have like hip-hop heads over. Or that song, that album, or any of his albums. Because like you start nodding along and you'll get two songs where you're just nodding along to the beat. And all of a sudden the third song comes on and your head is completely out of rhythm, and you're like, wait, what? And then you're like trying to get it back, and then the next song will play, and you're like, oh, okay, I got it. And then the song after that will be a different, like almost arrhythmic beat. Odyssey, huh? And he has, a, he has a way of flowing over all of it where it's almost like he's making fun of you because of how good he is at concealing how fucked up the beat is. But I like that he frames it. Again, going back to what I was talking about, I like that he frames it with enough like 4-4... Four, four, where you're like, oh, you get suckered in. You know, if it was the whole album was that, maybe you'd be like, oh, it's too weird. I can't dig it. But it'll get you. And then once he hooks, sets the hook, then he's going to fuck with you on that. That's a, that's a lot of, a lot of extreme music can be that way. Um, some, you can't headbang. You just can't. Sorry, you're going to mm-hmm. snap your own fucking neck with all the sudden movements. It's like Steven Seagal standing behind you. <laughs> but there are a lot of, uh, death metal musicians, extreme musicians who they'll catch you with a tempo, but then there are sections that are just so erratic. It, it's, I think that metalheads use it as sort of sometimes a method to um, indicate at a concert whether the people are actual fans of the band or they're just like there because you see someone said, like, oh, nope, nope, wait, wait, hold on, what? <laughs> it was just like it, totally unfair, firstly, but. That sort of, I, I, that also appeals to me. I love erratic music. Mm-hmm. My favorite music is, you know, extreme music. But I'm also a, a man of many moods. And sometimes 
I've, I've learned again, it's another thing that I've learned over the years is instead of always having spastic, erratic, extreme, uh, that I can have range and I can be more of a normie and like listen to Al Green or something Mm -hmm. like, you know what, that's the vibe that I'm in right now. Uh, but I, I used to, I used to always have to scribble outside the lines like, no, or it would come out on my playlist. If I had guests over, like all of a sudden Al Green would pop on and they'd be like, what the fuck? We were just listening to like death metal. And now Al Green came on. I'd be like, Oh, who put that on there? (laughs) There was, there was a video I actually tried to send you Charles when we were at the tool concert, they were playing one of the later songs. I'm blanking on the name right now. It was one of the later songs on fear inoculum. Uh And the guy in front of me had had quite a few beers and was trying to like headbang to Danny Carey who switches time signatures oh, three times in that song. Yeah. And it was really like, it was adorable. The reason I didn't send it to you, like, well, it wouldn't send during the concert and we were supposed to have our phones down. That's right. But then afterwards <laughs> I literally felt like I was kind of a dick move. Like I'm not, uh, this guy was just enjoying oh, yeah. himself. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not trying to make fun of somebody no, who's just having fun, not at all. but God, it was so funny trying to like watch him figure out in his head when he's supposed to like headbang like he was really trying to count it out and i, I was sometimes we delude ourselves into thinking we know exactly where the yeah where bang your head and you don't i was trying to figure out the time signature sometimes i'm proud of myself when like i stop at the exact right point in a song yeah and i'm like oh yeah yeah i knew that of course i, I, I do that, that. <laughs> but i was even like I, like i was doing the, i honestly was doing that exact same thing and when yeah. i hit it i was like yeah i did but i was even trying to figure out the time signatures on my legs where I was trying to like keep time with his snare on my right hand and then his kick with my left hand. And I'm like, I don't know what math, even like a song um, like Numa that I was familiar with. Yeah. Like I didn't know, I was like trying to figure out this time signature and I'm like, okay, I can even kind of drum along with this, but I don't know what time signature this is. That's, he, this is maths. <laughs> since he started studying tabla drumming yeah. prior to the recording of Lateralis, he's had a lot of those weird like pulsating drum rhythms that are almost unexplainable. Yeah. And if you try to do them, even if you hear them a hundred times in uh-huh. a row, you'll still kind of like, wait, 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 what? what? Yeah. <laughs> like you sound like the, you sound like the light turning from walk to stop. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> That's exactly it. And I was, it was like, like frustrating at times, but then once you get past, like, I shouldn't just, I shouldn't be trying to figure this out. I should just give myself over to this. That is a beautiful. Moment. Oh yeah. When just you're like just like, feel it move through you. Yep. Yeah. I am. I am in the presence of something that is much greater of anything I can understand. And I just want to be a fan. That's a fucking great moment. Did he do chocolate chip? Starship, yes, chocolate sir. chip trip, chocolate chip starship. God damn it, I can't think of the name right now. But you know what I'm talking about. Chocolate yeah, is chip it trip? Is chocolate, it chocolate chip, chip trip? trip. Yeah, it's just chocolate yeah. chip trip. Which is like. Mm, that's fucking That's his song. Yeah. That is so fascinating. And he was doing, he had his synthesizer back there and he was doing licks on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was bonkers. But again, I was just like, thank you. Because I felt like I had a really good workout. Only it wasn't my muscles. It was literally my brain. Like I just, I just watched you casually walk through like seven different time signatures and the band kept up with you and Maynard kept up with you. And then- Everybody cheers and then everybody go home. And you did it all in a basketball jersey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, fucking cheers to uh, being weird. To being weird. Yeah. And normies, too. All of them. To being weird and being Also, I, I just got to say, like, shout out to Gen Z and their music. Yes. Because 
I think, and I, I, I have this sinking feeling that generative AI is going to just destroy all art as we know it. And maybe that just means we all do like more shows in people's backyards, but, mm -hmm. but we are living in a golden age for music. I, I think AI is going to make us appreciate human art more because I don't think that AI is ever going to have artistic autonomy. So I think it's going to make me appreciate human generated art more. As somebody who spent the late nineties through the, well, through like 2014, 2015 making music, we were already doing this like quantized beats have been a thing that have been around f this entire time. That's all it fucking is. Like there is nobody that can hit that exact point. Every single beat as a drummer, there's no bass that can s hit the exact same note every time exactly on beat. I it's literally it like for, for anybody that hasn't looked at like what Ableton looks like when you pull it up, like it's basically imagine the game Arkanoid, which God, I just aged myself. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. You can move all of the bricks around and you can make any note do anything. We've been listening to AI generated music. It just had an original component and then was completely changed. We took the humanity out of music that's on the radio. That's pop. 20 years ago and we've people have been fine with that i think that there can be two different camps and there already are it's do you want the human imperfection or do you want exactly quantized music i also hope it drives humans to create more original art every time more the human, pendulum swings one art. way art swings the opposite and until we are no longer here i continue to believe that will be true i feel like it's possible that a lot of what we consider art is just going to be taken offline. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I agree. Like it's, I, I just, I think there's, there may be a Renaissance in like handmade, handmade stuff. Hope so. You know, like cottage core is maybe some weird mm -hmm. early, like leading indicator sure. of it. Um, you know, like, like, sh like I said, like shows in the basement. I'm actually mm -hmm. not really kidding about that. I think, you know, communal like music like that is maybe going to have a lot more importance when you can just literally just prompt anything you want online for sure Fucking well i own the domain humangenerated.art so let's go in 2007 i saw a sale on i think godaddy and i bought oh. the domain name no biz like show dot biz <laughs> they were selling dot biz for like yeah it's like three bucks a year or something <laughs> that's fucking awesome <laughs> and it wasn't wasn't until pretty recently that i like realized every year i'm yeah. getting like like a, it got it got raised the price got raised to yeah. like seven dollars or whatever and i'm getting like i'm paying for no biz like show.biz and i bought it just in the hopes that somebody would want to buy it eventually for, someone's gonna yeah i, I thought that was viable. It's a tough game to play with all the extensions now. that's amazing just, oh fuck it we'll just get dot yeah. whatever dot dot all right pip i can think of a few people as adept at manipulating flavors and beverages as you are do you have a current favorite je ne sais quoi ingredient that really elevates a drink, but it's hard for people to guess? Uh, I really like radicchio. Yes. Uh, awesome. Fresh, fresh radicchio juice. Let's go. Um, you know, we can't Love work that. with Campari at the distillery or anything else that other people mm -hmm. make. We have to make it all. And so initially, um, you know, we didn't have a liqueur program started. We were really just, just starting. So I just thought like, if we don't have Campari, what happens if you juice radicchio? Yeah. And turns out it tastes really bitter and herbal like you'd kind of expect wow. it to. Plus, it's a beautiful purple color. And it's just one of the coolest ingredients I've ever discovered. 
And the fun thing, the thing, like the nerdy thing that probably everyone who's listening should just like fast forward through this part because it's not going to be interesting. No. I'm going to tell you. We found, we found a way to make this, we found a, ma- a way to make this product, this ingredient sing. And basically the challenge is as soon as you juice it, it starts to turn brown like all perishables do. Right. And so we just had to figure out like how can we keep this radicchio juice, you know, like fresh. And so the answer is you juice it into lemon juice. So you basically I was going to say either has to be acid shock or blanching. Exactly. So <laughs> we we fill the we fill the vessel halfway with lemon juice cuz it's going to be a sour anyways and you juice into that. And the other thing is you toss the leaves after you cut them for the juicer, you toss them in lemon juice. And that surprisingly makes a huge difference. So it's this now it's this beautiful vivid purple and it tastes great. It's really cool. What's the shelf stability on it with the citrus in it? So we just move through it rapidly. We move through things pretty quickly, yeah. uh, and we do a lot of freezing. So, sure. Um, okay. I you know I would I would say like throw it away in a week basically. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, that makes but sense. But that's that's good for for fresh stuff. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> 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 no, you know what? No, no, no. Fuck it. Say it one more time, Charles. I, I switched up my that's my sound prompt. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that needed a, a fucking Larry David to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my answer, and we got too close into this earlier, and I almost gave it away. But, yeah. Uh, Charles, I after you texted me this, I realized that I never sent you this because I had a fucking wild week with travel and new job and whatever. Um, I used Dill Akavit and made... A chicken schmaltz washed dirty martini with dill akavit. And, bruh, like, we're changing the game over here. <laughs> it, it, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I still had the schmaltz itself wasn't salty enough to go full dirty. Okay. So I just made a little MSG solution. Yeah. And added, like, a few drops. But, bro. I don't think it would satisfy your version, but oh my God, I mean, explain. I, cause I think you want it to be saltier than, than this one. I don't always, I don't always want intense saltiness. I want intense saltiness in the absence of more layers of flavor. So if I'm getting shitty olive brine, just give me a bunch of salt. That's good enough for me. But if I have layers of complexity, then I want to identify them. I don't necessarily want like that, like, paralyzing saltiness so i did a test run with it in a very small batch because uh when we were in denmark i brought home a bottle of dill that does not sell in the united states but we are fortunate enough to have uh from the the folks at uh gamla ode uh distilled at 45th parallel they make a pretty incredible dill and uh i went i was at uh fuck man i think it was a Clancy's or France 44, mm. one of the higher end delis. And I just saw like a nice little deli cup of schmaltz. I wanted to make matzo ball soup and I am very, very much a purist on schmaltz for it. And then I use uh Penzi's roasted garlic powder, a little toasted onion powder, and then a little bit of dry dill in the actual matzo ball. And then I cook that in homemade chicken stock or chicken broth with some dill fronds in there. And I just kept thinking, like, we've talked about savory cocktails on here before. Yeah. We've talked about the the classic from 15 years ago, the uh, red curry martini at PDT. And I was like, wh- I want to make, like, a like a matzo ball soup cocktail. And, man, it 
fucking slapped. So my next my next goal is to make a liter of, or a, a 750 of it and then we can throw down on that. But lovely. Fat washing is something that I have really fallen in love with. Uh it started with my love of milk punch and now I've started to do like all right, like what other weird things can we do? Like yeah, I get it. We can do like the the bacon fat old fashioned and all that. I want to play around with adding especially with clear spirits with adding a little bit more uh, viscosity to the the mouthfeel and then a little bit more unctuousness to to the actual the the flavor. And bro, it 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 was great. And I'm I'd also be lying just so you guys know, I for sure ate a little bit of that solidified fat like after <laughs> I did the fat wash and then I put it in the freezer so it all came out. I was like See, it's so good. It's it was good. it was great. Mm. So yeah, that was that's that's do you want do you want yeah I got to try that yep that uh, yeah that sounds up my alley with savory cocktails for sure uh, for me it probably comes as no surprise because it's my favorite herb bay leaves mm. like yep using bay leaves in cold liquids batch Fuck, cocktails. I should have done that that would have been a great yeah. compliment yeah to I've it. been because like I make my own dirties at home and I batch them and I put them in the fridge and they're pre diluted and then I'm always playing with like other elements to add to them. And when I discover that it's hard to homogenize MSG, so it's a really bad idea to put it into the 750 bottle of the um, batched martinis, because then you get a bunch at the bottom and it makes you feel really funny if you have too much MSG in a mm-hmm. drink, which was a weird thing to find out about myself uh, when I had like one drink and felt quite drunk, but it was the last in my batch. But I always like to manipulate flavors and figure out new interesting fun things to put in without reinventing the wheel necessarily because i already like the way i make dirty martinis i like the amount of each ingredient that i put in but something like that just adds another layer of depth and very much the definition that herb is the defining herb when it comes to je ne sais quoi because as we've mentioned before like on the peter schweiger episode people will frequently say that it doesn't have any flavor it does have fucking flavor just people have old bay leaves or they don't know how to use them mm-hmm. or they don't know what it's imparting. But in that type of an application, it's actually like severely effective. And yeah. I've had, that's an, I'm seeing a lot of uh, application of bay leaves in cocktails around the country and the world. And I've enjoyed their, their use in even, I mean, you can use them in savory and sweet cocktails. It's pretty fascinating to see the application. And I want to experiment with that more. If you like fresh or dry. Uh, both. I have a place in Lebanon, so I'm able to get fresh bay leaves very cool. readily. Uh, I can't bring them unless I dry them if I'm bringing them here mm. because it's an agricultural issue. We have them. You can get them fresher. For sure. But I'm saying I have like easy access oh, to fresh um, bay leaves when I'm in Lebanon. And I use uh, I use nice. them there a lot. Um, and I want to experiment with more laurel. Like everyone's mm. morbidly obsessed with just the bay leaf, but there are so many different laurel leaves that we can utilize like using pimento leaves when I make jerk for instance. And then you can similarly use those for cooking other dishes, stews, cocktails. Uh, I think it's unexplored. I think that we need to really delve into that more. Leaves How about generally, you? Leaves, leaves generally. I mean, yeah. not don't use a lot of like lime and lemon leaf. Oh yeah. A, a hot ingredient for a mm-hmm. minute, but sure. so much more. Curry leaf a lot of leaves out there yeah. for sure. Leaves, avocado I mean, leaf, stewed birch leaves. Like yeah, that's that has that not even touched our fucking shores, really. That's that's my show. Have you seen that in the U.S. anywhere? Not at all. That's interesting. And literally, my favorite cocktail I've had outside of the U.S. was 
completely based around a birch all leaf birch. gin. It was all. Birch, it was all right? birch, mm-hmm. but the the birch leaf gin was really what fucked me up. Like that was that was it. And I I again, birch syrup. Now like I started putting that in cocktails. I'll do that with old fashions because there's like a blackstrap molassesy like deep sultry smoky note to it. Like let's fucking go. Yeah, make things weirder and also better. <laughs> birch syrup is extremely cool. We just put that on a menu. For yes. A, a 10 year awesome. old fashioned with it. Oh, yeah. Let's oh God. All right, Charles, we just have to We're go overdue. for a whole night. We're overdue. <laughs> Cause it's like, it's, it's hard to get and mm-hmm. it's not cheap. So it's, you know, you got to like make it count, right? Ooh, I have a connect. So do you uh, really? Yeah. Let's talk off. Let's talk Ooh. offline. Uh, yes. The only difference would be like figuring out the amounts that you need, but not, not worth talking. All right. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's great. Final round. Yes, indeed. Hey, cheers, fellas. So as men of a certain, as humans of a certain age, I should say, uh, we've all heard the, the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And one of the things that I love about sitting on this side of the room and looking at the two of you is I know for a fact, that's not true, but I was wondering is there something that you have recently gotten into or something that you are starting to get into that would in fact be a new trick for an older dog? Oh, <coughs> I can go if you want. Yeah. All right. It's going to have to be um, fashion terminology, mm. understanding bespoke fashion, for tailoring, sure. things of that nature. Uh, I've always known what I liked more via what I see than being able to tell you precisely what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And now that I have had and um, have a growing professional relationship with Club Caraway, it feels like my responsibility to understand what the fuck houndstooth means, Mm. uh, what the fuck herringbone is. you know, various lapel pins, how to utilize them. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot to know. And it's something that I knew a little about, but it was one of those things where the information was right in front of my face, but I chose not to absorb it because it didn't really feel like I needed it. You know, it's like, uh, am I really going to have to know how to do advanced arithmetic when I'm not in school anymore? One of those types of propositions. But now that I have, such a deep professional relationship with a company that deals in fashion. That's something that I'm learning more about of my own free will. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's actually fairly fascinating stuff um, for someone who felt like it would never really serve me in any way. Yeah. So I think that that's a a pretty easy answer for me. Oh, I like that. Uh, Pip, what about you? Is there a, is there a a new dog that, that, or a new trick that this old dog (laughs) is learning? You know, I, I try to keep, learning yeah um, it's really just yeah. i've learned it's i've learned it's important to me uh to keep education going so i don't know i've always kind of been drawn towards coding mm. and just stuff like that nothing, nothing super rigorous but um i'm thinking about learning html5 to try to basically put cool. together like a an inventory web app that's fucking that awesome that we can use at work but you know i took like before the distillery i was working in a factory uh, and I, you know, it was a, a medical device factory that basically the whole reason I was there was they paid for 
college if I wanted to be like mm-hmm. look into becoming an engineer. And so I took a year of college math while I was working in this factory and you know got my first four ever in math and Holy basically shit. learned that I wasn't actually bad at math and I could do yeah. calculus. <laughs> so I don't know, it's been I, I hope those don't those days don't end. Do you feel like, all right, so as somebody, like, so I was in, as a kid, I was in an advanced math program at the University of Minnesota, and there is a lot of push to get into some form, some facet of engineering back then, and my brain just stopped. Once we got to imaginary numbers in calculus, like, I literally, I couldn't contextualize it, Mm -hmm. and I still feel that way, but it's because I never pushed to learn again. Mm -hmm. Do you? Do you feel like your brain just like hadn't like, was it just age and learning a lot more about the world? Or did you feel like you had to look at it from a different angle? I, I'm just fascinated by that because I, that's literally, that's something that bothers me to this day about my childhood was that like, I had it until a certain point, like more than all of my peers. And then I just hit this roadblock. But because of that, I built up a wall in my head and I haven't ever gone back to look at it again. Yeah. You know, I wonder, um, I wonder if, if there was something like in your case, I just wonder, like, was it something with the teacher? Because I, I have this theory that like anyone can learn anything, you know? Well, but also looking at like, at what you were saying earlier about, um, like, jazz drumming and learning different time signatures like do you think maybe did any of that influence your ability to understand like different maths an interest in logical systems has always been there but but it was like definitely some add related Mm. you know school performance issues back in those days and and it wasn't until i was paying for my own well not paying for my tuition but you know it was a different scenario doing it of your own volition right and then it was suddenly like just captivating Mm. So it was really like uh, maybe the motivations were different, you know. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I would I would do it again. Like I would I would continue taking math classes and you know, like I said I want to learn HTML5, like let's go. You know, ChatGPT can teach me now. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. I love that though. That's I, again, I I hadn't really I've been so mad as like somebody who considers himself a prose writer. I've been so mad about ChatGPT that I haven't thought of any other applications for it. I'm just like so tired of reading like this. I fed it a bunch of this and then it gave me this. Like, I don't, it's like a dumb parlor trick, but you're right. Like again, going back to what we started talking about with the internet, if you wield it correctly, you could actually learn some incredible shit. I, you know, YouTube changed my life multiple times in terms of just being able to access teachers of material. When I was, you know, in, in, when I was living in Tokyo, I was watching, you know, uh, this new Orleans bartender, uh, on YouTube and then reading about New York on eGullet. Um, but now, now, I mean, Khan Academy has their, mm. their you know, tutor yeah. and it's entirely automated. There I, are so many tools for education now. Yeah. The, the, the possibilities are kind of not just, not just for like us, right? This is great that we can like mm-hmm. learn in a different way, but like think about people who, you know, out in remote regions, yeah. different parts of the world who have no access to this kind of information. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just wonder, are you going to see some kind of Renaissance now that information, this kind of, this level of pedagogy is available? I, I hope know. so. It, in regard to dating oneself, I had to teach myself to code HTML, CSS, PHP, uh, and a couple other scripts with a fucking book, a printed book, which now is a totally foreign concept. I have the books in my office. Though. Yeah. Like they're on the bookshelf at Patmos. I have shelves full of books that I had to actually read out of to learn to code, which is really bizarre. Mm. 
um, in this day and age anyways, cause, and, and it's a good thing. It's a highly positive thing that like I have friends who have kids that are learning to program via like toys you can buy at target. So you can program a little robot to dance around the room and you learn coding via whatever specific act yeah. you're asking the robot to do for you. That's really fucking cool. It's amazing. It's also, you know, we talk about like the evils of AI, but I think for, uh, binary pursuits for technical pursuits uh, there are a lot of ways that it can it can serve us today totally it's artistic pursuits that i don't i don't buy it and i'm probably never going to buy it but in regard to like technical pursuits i mean look at what it, it i guess if you look at artistic pursuits it can like increase fidelity of old footage it can colorize footage without having to manually process it gave us a new beatles song was it because it was able to pull a vocal away from a, a piano part yep. so that the song could be completed the way that it was intended to be completed. Things like that. That's the stuff that fascinates me. And totally of course agree. using it to like teach people to code, especially because it can identify what you did wrong and then tell you what you did wrong, why you did it wrong. And then what you can do to correct your error. Whereas I used to have code madness when I would program web apps when I was in my twenties and I'd have to scan thousands of lines lines of code to find like the one spot where I missed a parentheses. <laughs> now you can either have the software itself, the actual native software indicate the part that is incorrect or have something like a chat GPT or some other software learning tool tell you, Hey idiot, it's right there. Like here's your error. Well, all of the use cases so far, the, the really interesting ones are, you know, it's not where like, of you know, I haven't seen anything where a finance bro replaces a designer by mm. using generative AI, right? It's usually what I see is like a designer uses generative AI as a force multiplier in brainstorming or something and sure. gets it, yep. you know, just has like, you know, tons of ideas that they can work through and develop the ones they like. And in some ways I would argue that is and has been more mature than any kind of technological application mm -hmm. because hallucinations make the binary break. <clears throat> For sure. <laughs> I just read an article yesterday about... Uh, like, why are we using, why are we paying CEOs this much when we could just automate it, automate it. <laughs> and it was funny, like reading through <laughs> it because, you know, everybody was like, well, they're just going to like, they're, they're going to do whatever they can to get rid of all the workers and do, and I'm like just gesturing around the world right now. I'm like, so what's different from what we're doing right now? Like we've created billionaires through greed who build their wealth off of the backs of destroyed humans. So what are, what are we afraid is happening? Like we're already doing that maybe there's a chance that if we can like influence a little bit of of care or nuance i don't know we could teach it to not do that i don't it was it was fascinating being like oh no, no no we need to keep the humanity in it because that's what helps people and i'm like what are you looking at where where right now where in in these giant ceo jobs that could save 50 million dollars 100 million dollars enough to fund living wages for everybody 10 times over like are we sure that, that it's the machines that'll be the ones to enact that? Because I'm pretty sure humans have done that since we've had wealth that could be accumulated. Yeah, I mean, the trick is figuring out what the next model is, right? Right. Well, fuck, I don't... You know, I was going to say that my, my answer to this question doesn't make sense, but it actually maybe does. Uh, thanks to therapy, I have started uh, meditating because I am trying to work on detaching myself from everything that I associate as attached to me. Uh, 
whether it was my girlfriend when I was younger or my spouse or my job or my what team I cheered for, what band I liked. I've always like when somebody talks shit about that, then I take it personally because I think you're saying something about me. And sometimes they are, but that's a really, it's impossible to walk forward. This is a direct quote. So shout out to Abby. This is uh, it's impossible to walk forward freely. If there are a hundred strings tethering you to things around you and I have to get better at that. And I'm not great at it right now. This is something is, that I'm... Is this fully new to you? You've brand, absolutely. Brand, brand new. Yep. Okay. I've tried Are you doing, doing an app or have you doing nope. of your own volition? Yeah, own volition. I'm, like, I'm trying because uh, I have to give myself baby steps. And I think maybe eventually I'll get to a, like a like headspace or, or there's, I think, an app just called Meditate. I think I'll get there eventually where it's centered around just silence. I am not at the point in my own brain where I can be at just silence for a half an hour. That's let something me, I have to build to. Let me make a recommendation yeah. for waking up. Waking up? It'll it changed my life. Is it like like a phone app? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it's, I will absolutely check it I've out. I've got a couple too. I don't remember the name. So, I have um you got to find what works for you too. Yeah. Some of them are a little. There's they have some I've goals. used where I'm like <laughs> some of them know. are social, which is weird to me. Like they're trying to like Yeah. Like I don't need to connect mm. with other people. Like this is my point. I'm I'm trying to not have connections here. And what I've realized is as much as I love music, music, if I get rid of lyrics, I can detach a little bit easier. Like uh, all of my uh, experiments with microdosing and macrodosing with uh, psilocybin and uh, well, and others. Um, instrumental music doesn't pull me out of that where uh, lyrics do because for some reason my brain reads that as like these are things we have to think about if i'm just listening to like instrumental music i can detach and just sort of be a part of that and that's where i'm at and i've been doing that at night instead of doing it in the morning i was trying to do it in the morning because i thought it would like center me before i went off i really enjoy waking up and having a whole thing of water and reading that's like i i feel like that gets my brain going my problem was I like to just keep watching things until I'm absolutely ready to completely fall asleep. And this has kind of helped. I've stayed up a little bit later, but I feel like I'm already in like a restful mode and I just put headphones in and listen. And I'm, I, I, it might, again, it might be just me imagining it might be placebo, but I feel like I'm, I can make myself fall asleep easier now. Like I, I can start like I have like a, a counting thing that I do and a breathing thing that I do and I'm just listening. And the only thing that I have to do is try and figure out how to get a pair of headphones that I can wear that won't because I keep losing my AirPods because I'll actually do too good at it. And then I'll just drift off to sleep and then I wake up in the morning and I have to pull I have a solution for you. Yes, sir. Marnie's got this headband that has earphones. I'm just going to suggest the headband. Literally, yeah, uh, right. I have I have two of them already saved on my... She's recommended it to like 50 people. Yep. Everyone's like, whoa, that's a thing? Because, of course, yeah, you fall asleep with the AirPods in. They go. Your cat's going to eat them. Right. So that's like, that's honestly probably going to be my Christmas gift to myself yeah. is, is doing that. But I, I recommend to anybody that has a, a very... Um, 
all over the place brain. Like if you feel like a, a wrestler that's just running back and forth to all of the ropes and bouncing back and forth, it really is like, give yourself, give your brain something else to focus on, but have it be something that's starting to, it, it's like an elimination diet for your brain. Like I close my eyes. So we cut that off. I'm breathing rhythmically. So I'm not getting any crazy uh, endorphins from like motion or whatever. And then I'm listening to something that allows me to disengage. And maybe for you, that's a, a soft-spoken podcast or a Matthew McConaughey reading you bedtime stories, which is actually a thing, and it's kind of nice. Um, but for me, it's I, 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 I can't have words. And especially if it's a very a slower rhythmic, like something in like the 70 to like, uh, like 90-ish BPM, I can absolutely kind of fade into that and it's been it's i feel like it's been great i don't know if it's actually doing anything but my brain feels better about it so just wanted to recommend that to folks i don't know either of you do you do you meditate at all give yourself like i've been obsessed with zen for like two years right okay yeah i wasn't kidding when i said waking up changed my life i'm very excited literally as soon as we stop this show i'm going to download that and yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, it's, you know, there's, um, and not just Zen. I mean, mindfulness generally, I, I think mm. it feels like, it feels like these are all, you know, different cultures, solutions to the same problem. Um, you ever hear, I, I saw this, this video with Ricky Gervais as on a, a talk show and he said, you know, I don't believe in the Bible because if it didn't exist and you wrote it today or you gave it to people today, they wouldn't, they would just look at it and they wouldn't believe it. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's no way it would win anyone over except for it's, you know, it's just been passed down throughout generations. Yeah. Whether or not you agree with that. Well, I, I guess not whether or not you agree with that. I do agree with that. Sure. It sure. happens. Right. And I think that the only spiritual school of thought that I've ever encountered that wouldn't fail that test is sort of the, the what I understand to be the, the tenet, of, you know, the, at the heart of Buddhism, this idea that, the chatter in your mind and the conceptual thought that you create all creates your, you know, your suffering. Like that's what causes your problems. And if you look around us today and you see, you know, these anti-mindfulness devices we all carry in our pockets, mm-hmm. that is actually a pretty timely lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. That's, I hadn't made that connection, but yeah, you're, so I, I went through, I, I think like anybody who's out there in their, in their mid forties, like I went through, my love, my love of the Beastie Boys led me to the Free Tibet concert, which led me to understanding, or at least trying to learn a little bit more about Buddhism. And my problem at the time was when you would go to like the shows, it was people trying to sell books and like get money and, and all that. And so I was like, oh, it's just another thing. But I never took time to really get into the tenets of it. And when I literally, after I read what, or at, well, I, I, I used BetterHelp for my therapy. So after I read what had been given to me by my therapist and, and detachment was one of the words that she used. I just Googled it and I was like, okay. And a lot of stuff obviously came up from the Buddhist tradition and now actually digging into more of like the macro. I have not gone super down that, that hole yet, but it makes a lot of sense. Everything that stresses me out right now, I've actually done a lot of work and we've talked about it on the show to like work on my own inner voice and I still struggle with that. That will be a lifelong struggle. 
of just understanding that it's okay that I'm alive and that it's okay that I'm here. But those two have now separated. My detachment needs to be from everything else that I like. Then I automatically associate that as it's 50% out, 50% back. So then if somebody doesn't like the thing that I like, then that also reflects on me. And I have to get past that. And this has been the first thing that's helped where I can imagine a world where I'm not attached to anything and I can focus on that. And then maybe it just, it doesn't cut the cord, but it thins the thread. And if I can do that, then there's less pull on me. Uh, I, I don't know if that makes sense to you at all. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I, everyone, everyone has their own personal analogies for whatever road they're traveling. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to say, Charles, I, I I appreciate meditation and I wish I made it a more consistent part of my life. Do you, Pip, as someone who clearly has been moved by uh, the utilization of um, meditation, do you have a, would you recommend to myself or to anybody listening that uh, to start your day with meditation, to do it daily, to do it so weekly? One, one of the interesting ideas of Zen, and just to be clear, I'm not a Buddhist. Uh, sure. I, I call myself a Zen Satanist because I joined, Ooh, the, I like you know, like the joint that say that whatever. Um, <laughs> after Dobbs, you know, I just like mm-hmm. how do you fight Christian nationalism? You join mm-hmm. the Temple of Satan or Let's Satanic go. Temple. So, anyways, whatever. Um, I there's a thing they say in Zen, which is mm-hmm. that everything is Buddha mind, and and that's basically saying like like it's right now, it's here, it's all around you. Yeah. You can't you can't do this wrong. Is kind of one way I interpret that mm. when they say everything is Buddha mind. So you can't do it wrong. If like I myself can absolutely not fucking get up in the morning and meditate, absolutely okay. not. It'll kill me. Yep. Right. But you know what? I I've gotten to the point now where through most of my day, I'm remembering that I'm lost in thought. Whereas before, I would go weeks without having like, oh shit, I was I meditated to this morning. You know, I was I tried to meditate in the mornings and I. It, I did it and then, you know, I'd go through weeks without realizing like, oh my God, I've just been lost in my own thoughts for yeah. a while now. Now it's, it's most of the day. And it doesn't mean that I'm like particularly good at living in the now, but it at least means that I'm remembering that I'm not mm-hmm. and that I can work on it. So, so I think everyone, like for me, driving is very, it's a good time to just kind oh, of like feel, yep. feel exactly what's happening, but everyone's got their own thing. I love that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, uh, bring it back into the station, yeah? Skirt. Park this shit. Skirt, skirt. <laughs> uh, Pip, I can't thank you enough for being here. It's been a blast. And uh, I don't, do you, do, you, do you want people to follow you personally on social things or should we you kick can, it? can, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm weaning myself off of Instagram, but I'll be on there for a while longer at MF Pip. And I'm on Blue Sky, but that's a secret. So, Ooh. Um, what about uh, for the distillery and all things uh, whiskey and cocktails? Absolutely, we are. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be OS Distilling for Instagram. It's gonna be Keeper's Heart or Keeper's Heart Whiskey. I don't remember which for the whiskey, uh, and that's where you can find all the stuff we're doing. We're doing, you know parties and new products and all kinds of fun stuff. So. And things feel like they just kind of, they keep growing. Like it's cool just seeing the expansion and where things are headed. I mean, everyone there is working their ass off. Yeah. It's, it's not, I'm not, you know, there's nothing about this that's been easy, but it's been more successful than I think we really hoped it would. And we had some pretty high ambitions. So. Also should throw out the food program. There is super rad too. Austin kills it, man. Yeah. Austin Bouchard, chef Austin. He's great. Like it, if you come to the twin cities, we try to always give you guys like or give the city's props when people come here like 
go check it out. Go for drinks, but also go for the food. Like the whole thing together is pretty breathtaking. And then just take a step back and and take in the entire building because mm-hmm. oh my fucking god, it's, it's unreal. It's a special place. It's a really special project. Fucking rad. Well, Pip, thank you so much for being hey, it's here. Been a blast. And Thanks, Pip. I think this, this is, is like the part where we get murdered by Colonel Mustard in the library. Yes. Yeah. The ghost yeah. of Colonel Mustard. Yeah. Thank you to Simple Mansion. <laughs> a tyrant from Resident <laughs> Evil. Wesker, yes. maybe. I don't know. Could be any number of things. Uh, Charles, what do you want to throw out there? What should what, what, what should we tell people to, to listen to, follow, to? I don't know. Number one of the next 100. So just keep listening. Slap Woody a review who? on there. Follow, subscribe, all that shit. Find something savory or find something bitter. Like, just if you're out there, find a cocktail that challenges you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Or fuck it, find a song that challenges you a little bit. Or go drink some old granddad. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Hell yeah. (laughs) All right, y'all. We love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Peace.